first of all, before we bring him on, if you're watching this live on Facebook, feel free to tag a friend or 10 in the comments. Let people know about the show. Um, let me share it to my, my profile now. Uh, and if you're watching it on YouTube, remember to like, comment, or subscribe. It's uh, not going to be streaming on YouTube live. It's going to go up next week because we have a seven-day ban for our sins of talking about... I'm not even going to mention it. Yeah, I'm not even going to mention which aspect of the truth we were talking about because we're avoiding all kinds of bans on this channel. Um, so we moved our show, The Vedic Intelligence Report, to Rumble. It's a Rumble exclusive. Okay, Vaishnava Voices Podcast, we're going to share the show. Share. More options. I'm going to share it to my feed, and then I'm going to set it to public, and I'll tag you in it as well. Done. Tagged on it, Alvarez. There we go. Tagged and shared. Okay, we're live. So we're going to bring Swami Pabanava onto the stream, and we'll get him to introduce himself. <clears throat> Remember, you can leave comments um, if you're watching on Facebook and uh questions questions mm. yeah and we can pull them into the stream mm. welcome swami padmanabha thank you for joining us on the vaishnava voices podcast today Hare krishna Hare krishna thank you so much to the for the generous invitation my pleasure to be here <clears throat> yeah um i'd like to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and, and create yourself in the way that you want to be known Hmm. Uh, you know, what, what you want people to know about you, how, how you want them to know you. Hmm. Thank you. That's, that's very generous of you allowing me to, <laughs> to introduce myself as I would like to be known. Well, how I would like to be known? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just a, one more pilgrim, let's say, into this journey of life and trying to, to be a servant of not only Gaudiya community, but the extended human community and all human creation, so to say, being connected to, to Bhagavan, to the Supreme Lord. And I'm, as you may know, some of you, I'm, I'm a monk, I'm an, I'm an author. Uh, I somehow try to serve in the function of spiritual mentor to some, but of course I try to mostly identify myself as a, as a student, a student forever, so I'm here happy to not only share a few thoughts, but also learning with all of you. <clears throat> Great. Um, we've been reading your book over the last week or so. We have like so many books that we're reading through because we have different guests coming on. And then we try to read, you know, the book before they come. And uh, I've gotten through about 15% of your book, Radical Personalism. And you have your other book, Bhakti inherent or inherited which i haven't even started yet uh so i would like to create for myself and others the impetus to read those two books and to to get a sense of what they're about but not you know to give away the entire thing so that people do go away and read the books and uh also i'm going to put into the into the comments where people can get your book from but before we launch into that um I'd like to, first of all, take a moment to acknowledge you. You know, um, from reading your biography, it looks like you and I actually came to Krishna consciousness around the same sort of epoch, which was that late sort of latter half of the 1990s. And 
from what I can see of your trajectory, you've been through some pretty earth-shattering situations. Um, as I understand it, and correct me if I got this wrong, you renounced your first guru, and then you were recently, within the last year, rejected by your second guru. Do I have that kind of part of the trajectory correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's accurate. Any, any one of those two kind of, you know, life events would be enough to throw a lot of people completely off the path. What to speak of having two of them in succession like that. And as I was reading the book, I was the radical personalism book. I was like, you know, what's the motivation behind this book and what is this book a response to? And what, what I can see about it is it, it's a, it's a, like a reaching deep down inside to ask the question, who am I and what am I all about and why am I here? What is it that I'm committed to? And there are going to be so many different perspectives and, and opinions about, you know, things that have happened, but what there is for me to acknowledge in you is your determination, your commitment, and your sincerity to, to the path of self-discovery, self-realization, and sharing the vulnerably and authentically the journey that you are on. And I acknowledge the contribution that that is to the Goldia community, because there are many people who have been through, are going through, and will go through similar situations or aspects of the situations that you've gone through. And so you really are a pioneer and a, um, a guide in navigating the complexities of this journey. And I acknowledge your contribution. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for your, for your kind words. And I take them in a humbling way because as you mentioned, I have been put through a certain series of circumstances and, and I, I'm not saying I don't feel that there's someone to blame because of that. No, like I, I, I don't, I'm not interested in, in playing the victim. I'm deeply grateful for whatever I've learned from whomever I met in my journey, including my former gurus. Uh, and for whatever circumstances came, yeah. I'm whatever I am, and I totally agree with your situation, with your statement, sorry about my situation in terms of, okay, why he wrote this book, and yeah, it, it was basically a way of recreating myself, rediscovering myself, and finding myself in a in a very vulnerable situation, that's a favorite word of mine, and you, you use that very accurately, Um and, I, and I'm forced by circumstance to ask, ask myself again, who am I? Uh, I mean, because this question, who am I, as you will continue reading in my book, I, I mentioned that in one part of the book. This book and this manifesto revolves around the question, who am I? That, that is not a question to, to reply simplistically. Now, we may have the official aphorism, I'm spiritual soul, eternal servant of Krishna, whatever. That's the official answer, but... <laughs> But the implications of that, how do I relate to that on a daily basis, that's, that's a world unto itself and we should be ready to ask that question to ourselves every single day. Who am I today? Who, tomorrow will be a different day, even later today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so for me, yeah, this has been and this con continues to be a whole journey of 
rediscovering myself of vulnerability of being put in 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 situations of total uncertainty which i know it sounds scary as i was talking the other day with with a friend of mine and sharing a few details of of this this trip so to say and he told me like that's that's very i will be terrified to be in that situation and i'm not saying i was not terrified at all i mean i don't want to play the super superhero here i mean the situation was uh, as considerably overwhelming and bewildering but again for some reason krishna is putting us in that situation and he knows that uh, i'm not saying that he put me in that situation because he knew that i could pass the test but he put me in that situation because he knew that i cannot pa- pass that test unless i take shelter in him so <laughs> that became very pretty apparent to me very quickly that if i do not go deeper into my life of prayer into my integrity into an embrace of my ideals values and principles i mean i'm gone in in a few seconds so to say you know? uh, so so this situation is is i mean i have two options here just being swept by the situation and completely becoming ashes and disappearing or going deep into my practice into the very reasons i joined krishna consciousness in the beginning and i see this as, a, as an invitation as a portal to to go deeper and yes somehow my book is part of sharing my story although i'm not speaking about the the, the details of what happened in, in per se but i'm happening speaking about what happened so to say inside of me and what the situation all these situations from the last years took me and and i think we all need to hear more of these shared stories because as you mentioned many of us go through the situations of difficulty of vulnerability of um, bewilderment and and it's it's okay to name and frame each of those not with an eye to blame to condemn resentfulness but just honest honest you know, honesty with vulnerability that's very healing for the community so that has been my attempt through the books through the series of lectures i gave on the topic and still my attempt again this is an ongoing process it's not something that will end at any point so to say it's ongoing ever evolving so Thank you for your words. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'd like to go back to the to the beginning. Yeah, you joined when you were nineteen years old uh, as a as a brahmachari. That was in Argentina. Yeah, Argentina. Can you tell us about that? How, how did that happen? How did that happen? Oh, that's that's a long story, but in, in brief words, because it's always difficult to establish a beginning yeah. point when when did it all began there's always something else happening before that but i will say that in brief at that time i was in a big big existential crisis of course one of the first ones to come <laughs> but that was a very heavy one in, sen- in the sense of i i was really asking to myself who am i this question that i continue asking to to, to, to till today uh, and what's the meaning of life and what's the purpose and, and and at that time there was no internet basically so you can imagine I, I was not able to google how to solve an existential crisis so i was just grabbing books or people and trying to figure out about that and eventually i remember becoming vegetarian by myself there was some strong epiphany i went through when i was like 15 years old or 16 approximately um, from that moment on, I became vegetarian. I was a musician at the time. I have different groups, so I was in in that platform dimension, so to say, of engagement. 
And eventually, and I, and I never had any couple or girlfriend or boyfriend or anything. So I, it was also some mystery for me that was going on in that direction because I didn't have very clear, I'm a monk, that's my nature and so on. I, I was going to discover that in time. So eventually I was reading different books, philosophy, Western philosophy, Western spirituality, Eastern spirituality, Indian spirituality. It became more and more specific till uh, Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita came to me once. It was in the house of a friend of mine and I asked her if, if she could lend me the book and, and I read it. A, fr a friend of mine read it first and then he gave it to me and I read it and, and I started going to the temple after that day and basically I started going to the temple to visit the temple every day after that day and after a few months I went to the ashram to live there and a few months after I yeah accepted the vows of as a brahmachari when I was 19 uh, and then yeah, eventually like nine years after I accepted the vows of sannyas in when I was 28 that was like yeah 14 years ago mm. we could call your uh, your biography or autobiography a life of existential crisis why not? Swami yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, and I would like to normalize the word crisis also because sometimes we tend to hear crisis and feel that's something bad or that's something that avoidable or shouldn't be happening. But the very definition of the word crisis means like a turning point, like turning the system <clears throat> point. It may be felt like a catastrophe. <laughs> it may take the ex the outer form of that, but actually it's inviting us to something completely beautiful and auspicious. I always like to, to make the point, to compare that with the Govardhan Lila, where Indra is saying this catastrophe, apocalyptic-like rains to Vrindavan, and it seems the worst of the worst, but suddenly it turns out to be the best of the best, because all the Brajabas are having darshan of Krishna uninterruptedly for a whole week, which they never had before. So a few minutes ago was the worst of the worst, but they took shelter in the proper direction, and it became the best of the best. So it was crisis, but it, it turned out to be a great blessing. So, so yeah, it's existential crisis, but I will say existential crisis, at, at least for me, is a constant invitation for rediscovering who I am, basically. So in that sense, they are welcome over and over again. Like, like Kunti will pray, be podas and tutasas, but let the problems come. We could say let the existential crisis come. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 As Srila Sridhar Maharaj would say, progress means elimination and acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones as well. And, and we like the word progress, but we may not like when the progress knocks on our door and which form it takes. As you mentioned, it means I have to accept a higher, ideal, a higher way of understanding everything and discard lower conception of that and, and and that's that's a daily exercise that's that's what sadhana is about you know sadhana doesn't mean only to to do something but to in, while doing that something internally accept a higher conception of krishna consciousness and discard discard a lower one and, and and so on and so forth on a daily basis so so there's poetry to to the quote of Srila Siddhar Maharaj but there's also the <laughs> the practical difficulty of that which may not be so poetic but we have to to embrace that as well and poetry will will continue coming so to say no soothe our troubled mind as we go through it hmm. and so Sridhar Maharaj is obviously a a, a a large influence in your book I can see hmm. um as he gives one example himself about Aurobindo you know that there was the 
domestic terrorist, as we would call him these days, Aurobindo. He went into hiding somewhere in India, uh, but he was found out because he wrote a, ma- a newspaper column and he was identified by his writing style. Yeah. So yeah. we can trace the uh, the line of thinking and speaking is is very apparent there. When when I was in South America living in Lima, uh, we were printing the Prabhupada's books there and I would supply them to the um, ISEF, Instituto Superior Estudios Védicos. Mm-hmm. And while there I bought... Um, La Ciencia Confidencial de Bhakti Yoga. Yoga. Yeah, it's a hardcover book and it has several of Srila Sridhar Maharaj's books in uh, in Spanish in there, yeah. compiled. And, and I've read many of his books in in the English as well. And so it appears that when you went to the, you say you went to the temple in Argentina, it was an ESEF temple rather than an ISKCON temple there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So, 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 so I was basically introduced to Sri Lassidharmaras from day one. So mm. I, I really feel very fortunate and blessed by that. No? I mean, from day one, of course, I was introduced to Sri Prabhupada as well, uh, and, and to Sri Maharaj like simultaneously. So I, I grew up with that DNA, so to say, till today. Like for me, both Prabhupada and Sri Lassidharmaras are are like my two grandpas so to say spiritually speaking so and, and i always felt very very specially yeah inspired by Sula Maharaj, his his depth his breadth his poetry his philosophy his so yeah i, I don't have any problem in into confessing my <laughs> inspiration to him as you will see why, by reading my book not only the style but yeah. I'm, I'm quoting him quite quite often as well uh so yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's he has been a very very important influence till till the day of today. A very special shelter with whom I feel very identified. You know, identify in, in how to present Krishna consciousness, how to conceive in my own inner world uh, in a very <coughs> dynamic way. As you mentioned, he will always emphasize this idea of being dynamic and progress and something ongoing. Not, not Krishna consciousness like something like stagnated or this is Krishna consciousness, this is the formula, swallow it and that's it. But it's something constant, evolution and, 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 and manifestation and change and movement, very fluid. So I always felt mm. totally identified with that. I felt that prospect very, yeah, very charming. Like I want to practice my spiritual life like this. No? So, so yeah, Srila Siddhar Maharaj Ki Jai. <laughs> jai. Yeah, I saw the... Last night I was actually reading the part where you're talking about crisis means the turning point. Mm. Um, and also, just before that, it was talking about the Chataka bird who was always looking upwards and drinking the water only that falls from the clouds and never drinking the water from the ground, which is a, another very beautiful turn of phrase that Srila Sridhar Maharaj would use. And so then you took um, son, so you took initiation from Bhakti Lok Paramadwaiti at the time, Swami? Yeah. Or from yeah okay because there are two acharyas there in that mission or well, I don't know what's happening there now but there was a two Ananda acharya <laughs> yeah and there was um, Bhakti Lok Paramadwaiti Maharaj I actually have this book here <laughs> oh it's on my it's on my harmonium it's the Cancionero Vaishnava mm-hmm. which has the songs of the Vaishnava acharyas and, and what's amazing about that book is that the Spanish translations are in the same meter as the original Bengali and Sanskrit songs. So you can sing the bhajan and then sing the translation in Spanish, which is like incredibly impactful. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that that has yeah. been always a, a great contribution. I appreciate mostly all these translations were made by Atulananda Maharaj, uh, and uh, and I appreciate his yeah his attempt to keep the the meter in place so you can use the same melody and you can sing mm -hmm. interchangeably between one language and the other. And yeah, trying to make accessible the songs into one's own local language, which of course in South America almost everyone speaks Spanish, so. And that, for many, that allows to to express and, and your heart from a much more direct way. In the sense that some people will not understand the Sanskrit and the Bengali, it's charming in itself. But sometimes it's good also to to know what you are singing about. <laughs> so I appreciated yeah. that that contribution. So yes, I, I received original initiation from from him, and, and eventually sannyas as well from him in two thousand nine. So this, like, uh, first crisis mm. point for you then, of, like, your, your first guru, um, you know, we have devotees here in New Zealand. We've, there are devotees everywhere. So many people have had to deal with, you know, the, the disillusionment of, of the discovering that this person who, you know, is, has been my official link and been my inspiration over so much time has... Um, uh, Fail or faltered in their in their path here, and um, you know there's some necessity to deal with that, and that's not something that gets really covered in the curriculum. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I, I don't know if many gurus are teaching their disciples. Here's what you do when I fall down or when I deviate. I mean, mm. there's the Sri Krishna Bhajan Amrita that got translated much later. And there is, of course, Sri Guru and His Grace, the the, the the seminal collection of conversations with Srila Sridhar Maharaj. But can you, could you share with us, Maharaj, you know, something of that world of what you went through at that time and, and what you found yourself facing and how you, you dealt with that? Hmm. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, my in my book now, I've written a whole chapter somehow on the topic. Again, not addressing my specific situation and names and details, but just speaking about different uh, practical situations in the guru-disciple relationship which sometimes are not so much addressed in, in our tradition. And I feel it's necessary because, as you mentioned, what to do if... It's not that we want to think that will happen. I mean, the last thing you, are, you will think when you are accepting a guru is at some point I will have to take a distance from, from that person. You, it's, it's, it's not like healthy, like to be thinking that will happen at some point. It's like if you get married and you're already thinking... At one point, we will di divorce from one another. <laughs> but at the same time, of course, it's it's good to have some do's and don'ts in the in the handbook, so to say, of Guru Tattva regarding whatever may happen. Although, if you may like to call it an emergency case, well, sometimes emergencies happen. Sometimes emergencies stop being emergencies and become more the the rule than the exception. The exception. So there are so many things to do. Uh, say so yeah personally i i have some experience in that department again it was not in my in my plan in my agenda but i take it as as a big lesson looking back i mean I, again i'm grateful i cho i choose to be to be grateful to to see uh, the positive what i've learned and of course to 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 exercise my discernment and separate the things that are have to be pointed to and and 
and dealt with. So in my personal situation, well, the first years that I've, I've been with him, uh, situation was okay. There was not the, the irregularities that eventually started to happen. And, and, and these irregularities that started to happen, even when they happened, they were kind of, many, most people didn't know about it. Like the whole situation kind of exploded almost like many years after the situation was happening, so to say. But when I connected to him originally, at least for what I can tell him, for what I know, and we have been talking and so on, uh, that was not going on. And I really felt Krishna sending me many things through that person. So I acknowledge that. I mean, I cannot, I don't, I don't like to think in black and white terms like, okay, see, if some, if a guru fell down, it means that that person was always falling. He never was a guru. There was nothing bona fide there. And, and you go to the, okay, only the perfectly pure devotee need to see that or the cheater, <laughs> something like that. And, and personally, I, that's not my experience, to be honest. I mean, you can receive something from someone during certain time and eventually, for whatever reason, that someone may be not up to the mark anymore, so to say. But that doesn't mean that everything was a fraud, nothing was genuine or real. So so I experienced lots of beautiful things and I received lots of important teachings. So I remain grateful for that, even though at sometimes I, I don't know, when I distanced myself from him, I wrote a public letter on that, but trying to be appreciative and respectful all those there will be always some people who may feel that I'm betraying my father and I make it public something that shouldn't make. It's a delicate situation. Every person has uh, their, their, their experiences there in a particular way. So it, I, I understand that no, not everyone will agree on how to deal in those situations. And as you say, not everybody have been talked about what to do in those moments. So it's totally <laughs> bewildering. And you are trying to survive and be at the same time honest and be at the same time grateful, but not be naive. So, and, and, and having a few years in practice and so on. So it's not that easy. So when that came to my notice, which that was approximately in the year 2018, so that was not too far time, too much ago. It was like five years ago. Uh, well, we talked to him, I remember, uh, along with other sannyasis and friends, and, and, and because we get to know about one particular situation, and, and, we, and we, 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 we confirmed that with him, and he ex confirmed that, and we requested, please, you, you have to take a distance from your present dynamics and, and try to go deep into your bhajan, into your sadhana, and, and, and if you try to make the proper adjustment, I mean, we... We continue with you. I mean, if, if it was just one, we thought it was one moral lapse, so to say, <laughs> and you and, and, and it can happen in life. But if, if you continue, of course, in time, we realize it was not one moral lapse, but many. So that take, of course, to a, to a totally different stance and, and, and situation. And, and we took official distance from him. But again, all this is a process. No, it's not something that, like I was talking today with someone uh, and it's not like, okay, you have the pure devotee and you have to fully surrender again. And if that person is not a pure devotee, then you have to leave the person. But there is a whole process in between also of, of how to do that and, and how much, as you mentioned, Krishna Bhajanamrita gives that example. No? There Narahari Sarkar says, if the guru is somehow deviating from the path, the disciple has to go to the guru and tell him, Hey, Gurudev, in, in a spirit of service, again, not in a challenging mood, but this is not correct. This is not what you taught me for the last decade. 
And that was the, that talk that I had with other sannyasis to him that for us was completely uh, unexpected and strange. I will never have thought I will be talking to my guru in, in that in that situation. But we had in a, we tried in the spirit of service to tell him, Gurudev, this is not what you talked us. This is not correct. Please return to the proper path. And Narahari Sarkar says there you can e- disciples sometimes can even chastise the guru in that situation. But in a loving spirit, again, it's important, in a spirit of service and great t- gratitude for what that person gave. So again, that was very awkward. I, I will have never thought I would be in that situation. But we were there and we were trying to, yeah, to help him realize that. And unfortunately, I mean, he, he accepted that at that point. But eventually in time, unfortunately, he... And this is my version, of course, some maybe some disciples of his or ex-disciples may hear me and say, I don't agree with Maharaj and, and it's okay, I'm sharing my own particular experience. But what I've seen, and, and it's not to point at him, because that's something, that's a pattern that can happen ev- everywhere and anywhere, but what happened also in part is that eventually you also get too accustomed to, and that's something that I, I address in my book, that sometimes the guru, the guru's dynamics are very pyramidal. So whomever is in, in the position of, of a guru, and I'm not blaming at anyone, I'm not saying this universal case, but sometimes it's delicate, it's dangerous because you kind of become, you are put on a pedestal and if and you lose the capacity to connect with people as peers and to be talked and to talk to others on equal level, and you are just only on the tip of the mountain and everyone else is below. And it's very easy to fall if one doesn't have the full adhikar to be there. <laughs> it's very easy to, to fall prey of, like, like what Srila Sirmaraj will say, uh, intoxication of Batsalia, which means a father hears his son saying, Daddy, you are the best daddy in the world. You are the best daddy in the world. And the father becomes intoxicated like, oh, yes, repeat it again, say it again. <laughs> And then comes his friend and he won't say you are the best in the world or, or his wife. He will talk like an equal level and the dad will say, I don't like to hear that. I only like to hear I'm the best in the world. So that can happen to a guru. You become addicted or enter into a bubble where there is no point of reference and you only surround yourself with people who, who say kijai. So somehow that happened, in my opinion, in, in this situation. So it, it was unfortunate and, and it was a big lesson for me because... Although I'm not a guru in the sense I'm not initiating anyone, I have not initiated, it's not in my plan. Uh, somehow, as a sannyasi, public figure, speaker, somehow for some people you are a reference, a referent, uh, and I try to take that as a service, hopefully. But again, it's very easy to fall prey of that situation. Like, I only want to hear those who praise me, and I, I don't want to relate with equals, so... So that for me was a situation, not only, not so much also what happened, the moral failure, so to say, but then how the situation was dealt with or the denial of what happened, so to say, the cover-up, that was even worse, no? like like the Watergate pattern. No? Something happened, but the cover-up was even worse, so to say. So anyhow, a few words in that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. thank you, Maharaj. Yeah, as a, as a sannyasi, you are the natural a sannyasi brahmin. You are the natural spiritual master of the other orders and ashrams of human society. And I remember reading that in Sri Guru and His Grace, where Srila Sridhar Maharaj says, you know, he will become an acharya and then he will take distance from his god brothers and 
<clears throat> as you call it, said the Vatsalia intoxication. I saw a um, Christian church and they had to deal with their founding pastor having a moral failing. So, you know, he came, there was absolutely no one there. He started the whole thing from scratch, built it up. You know, he's the, the, the you know, the, the founder of Charia of the church, you know, everyone looks to him. He's giving a, he's giving a, uh, a series of lectures because they, the way they do their preaching in these Protestant American churches is they do lecture series and they kind of end on a cliffhanger. It's like, you want to come back the next week because you don't want to miss anything. I can't remember what the series was, but they interrupted it and they have this visiting pastor from another church lead pastor there giving the talk. And he says, you know, we're interrupting the series today. We're talking about God shows up in a crisis Mm. and he starts talking for a while. And then he says, you know, and this church is, we're in a crisis right now because, you know, the founding pastor who was meant to be preaching today's message, it's just been, he's reported to the board and it's been revealed. So he's married. And then he had an affair with an administrative secretary there who was also married. So, you know, he said, you know, on the arrangement of the board, he's taking some distance to reconstitute himself and we hate the sin, but not the sinner. And then he said something that I found was very powerful. And he said, um, if you find yourself now saying like, you know, I don't believe in God and like I'm leaving and just chucking in the hotel, then you need to confront that you were not following God. You were following a man. Hmm. And that was a, a point that's made in Sri Guruna's grace is the superposition of the of the Jiva soul, the Vaishnava, and then this empowered Shakti of Lord Nityananda. And it's that kind of like the superposition of all three of them. And at some time they may drift apart. And there's like, there's always going to be the, the person there, the Jiva, mm-hmm. or eternally persons. There's the Vaishnava. Even he might give up, you know, or, or deviate from Vaishnava Char. And then there's the empowered Shakti of the Guru. And it's like being able to distinguish all those things. And I can hear in that cocktail of emotions that you were talking about and responses, there's kind of like the, you know, being honest, but being grateful, but being, you know, the sense of betrayal. And then the, the like, what am I supposed to do about this? So yeah. many people around you with different perspectives and like, what are we going to do about this? And yeah, yeah what yeah. a thing to go through. Yeah. And especially being a sannyasi, you all not only have to deal with your own situation, but many people coming to you, asking you what, how to deal with this situation themselves, who were God brothers, God sisters of us. So that is, that's another layer of complexity. And, but, but yeah, I, I also thought, I remember one of the main thoughts that came to me when, when this particular situation came to the, to, the fore, to the fore, it was, okay, this is happening to him, and this is a test for him, for me, for every one of us, but also, I'm being tested in the sense of, I mean, why did I came to Krishna consciousness? You know, so this whole situation is collapsing, but I'm being put to test to see. Let's see if I take this situation as a, I don't want to say as an excuse, but I mean, in one sense, I will say that's a perfect excuse for me to, as the devotees say, to bloop. No, <laughs> to, no, no. Now after this happened that my faith is destroyed. And, and, and I'm not, I don't want to sound that I'm not empathizing with those that have chosen that path. I'm not saying they are victimizing themselves they are not sincere enough each one is in their own stage of the stage of the journey i cannot judge that but in my personal case i felt okay this has happened and i here have the perfect chance to say to justify my 
distant from all this due to this, or I, I am being put to test to see, okay, let's see if I want to continue practicing despite all this. Uh, yeah, of course, I felt the call to, okay, this is taking me to go deeper. And, and as you mentioned, to discern about, okay, there, this, there's the person guru, uh, and, and sometimes in the beginning there's this kind of merging of, and, and, and these ideas, which of course are in the scripture, but we have to understand, for example, the scriptures say guru is God, but in which sense guru is God also, no? because if you take that literally and absolutely, that will be problematic. That's basically mayabat. You are making a person God. <laughs> so the guru is God in a representational sense. The guru is representing God's message, God's teaching with his, her example. So my point is, if a guru is no longer representing that, proportionate to that, that person is no longer guru, so to say. You, you cannot like expect that same thing coming from that person. And again, it's not something you would like to, to think about if you are accepting a guru. Of course, you want someone who is fully representing Krishna. You can fully surrender to the person. But yeah, sometimes some things happen in time and you need to know how to deal with that and not force yourself to... No, no, my guru is necessarily always pure devotee, but if something wrong is happening, you have to maybe, yeah, re-ask yourself what's going on here. <laughs> and again, I, I'm not desiring that anyone has to go through it. I have gone, but I'm sure that many of us have gone or will go in some way or another. So it's important that we have the the integrity, as you say, and, and, the, and the intelligence to separate. Okay, Krishna, as you say, Nityananda Prabhu, the Shakti, invested in the particular jiva. And also a guru can also, a point that I address in my book, a guru can have lots of knowledge or even can have lots of spiritual realization. But also I will speak about another type of adhikar or eligibility that a guru has to have, which is to have a balanced humanity also. Because sometimes a guru may have some unresolved issues on a human level, some unresolved wounds and trauma. And... That the person is very good, very nice, very well intended, but is carrying some unresolved psychic emotional issues. And whenever he's in the position of a guru and he's absolutized and over, sometimes over idolized and worshiped, sometimes those dynamics, unresolved dynamics, will come in the relationship with the disciple. And, and the disciple may not have the discernment to understand how oh, this is an unresolved trauma <laughs> and separate that side of the human part of the guru, but sometimes that part needs to be addressed as well. It's not that that's just a relative side, so it's not a problem. As long as it's just a small thing, but if it's something that gets in the way of the relationship between the guru and the disciple, that needs to be addressed as well. That, that's, that's for me the, one of the meanings of the word Upasama Asrayam, when the Srimad Bhagavatam describes the, the symptoms of the guru, Tashmant Gurum Prabhadita Jignasya Sriya Uttamam Brahmani Upasamasrayam. It says at the end, no? Sabdeparecha Nishnatam Brahmani Upasamasrayam. Upasamasrayam means the guru has to have taken, have to, needs to have been taking full shelter into tranquility. In other words, the guru has to have his, her humanity under control, not only controlled senses and mind, but balanced humanity, so to say. I mean, I translate that in a contemporary way in that sense, because sometimes we see people in position of leadership who need to do some inner work as a human, so to say. If, if not, that gets in the way of, of, the, of the relationship. So 
some extended thoughts in relation to what you mentioned. <clears throat> yeah, you, I heard you say there uh, the relative side of Guru, which for people who have not read Sri Guru and His Grace may be a, a, a novel concept. It's not <clears throat> widely spoken about in ISKCON at least that, you know, Srila Sridhar Maharaj distinguishes the, the relative side and the inspired side of the Guru, the two different, the superposition of the thing. Mm. Um, this is a real, yeah, could you say something a little bit about that, Maharaj? Yeah, yeah, I, I also, I speak about in, in my book in once, I don't know if this subsection is called the absolute and relative side of the Guru per se, probably. And it's interesting and it's complex and it requires clarification because the way Srila Siddharmara speaks about that, sometimes it's not the same way as when the boat is talked about that, they refer, they mean something else. And sometimes you need to clarify first, what do I mean by absolute and relative side? Because we start to talk about that and each one will have a different idea. And if you go through Sri Guru and His Grace, and I've gone through, of course, I read the book many times, but I've gone through before writing about that in my own book. Srila Siddharmaraj mostly when he says absolute and relative, he refers to what in Sanskrit is called the Samasti Guru Tattva and Vyasti Guru Tattva. So that means Samasti Guru Tattva who will be like the universal principle of Sri Guru, or if you will, Krishna himself being the original archetype of the Guru. And the Vyasti is the individual human being who represents Krishna's will, so to say. So, so Samasti will be like the guru agency and Vyasti will be the guru agent who is representing the agency. So he will, when he will, Srila Siamraj will speak about absolute and relative side, generally he will refer to that. The absolute side of the guru means Samasti guru, the agency. And when he will speak about the relative side of the guru, he will refer Vyasti or the individual, the agent who is representing the agency on some level or another. But the way that sometimes in the devotees' conversation this idea comes is more in the sense of, okay, the, the absolute side of the guru is his or her side as a Vaishnav, his inner world of spiritual realization, and the relative side of the guru is his or her, uh, and I make clear his or her just in case, <laughs> uh, human side, so to say. So, so let's say, let's say, for example, I don't know, a devotee may be a pure devotee and that person is a guru and, and his absolute side is his side as a pure devotee. But the relative side may be that that pure devotee is a little, in that case, I don't know, a little grumpy. So that's part of his human side. That's the relative side. We are not to absolutize the grumpiness, but that's something that is not getting in the way of his absolute side. Even it's adding charm to the pure devote, decide as pure devotee of that person. So in that say the relative side is understood in context, it's a human aspect, but it's fully spiritualized by the absolute side, the presence of bhakti, and that's great. But the point is that sometimes this idea of the relative side of the guru ends up being weaponized to justify uh, things that shouldn't be there. You know, like I've heard that many times, even like, okay, the guru starts to uh, distort the truth, to lie, to to engage in, I don't know, ostracizing, uh, scapegoating, gaslighting, and, and some will say, oh, that's his relative side. No? Uh, and, and that becomes like the, the perfect just 
justification for whatever that person does. No, no, he's becoming even like a form abuser, no, because you have forms of pastoral abuse. Uh, so that's an that's abuse. No, that's his relative side. In the absolute side, that person is completely untouched and transcendental, and that not necessarily that's the case. That's the point. So my point is these two terms are tricky also. I mean, they are necessary to to be invoked, but also we have to do those, we do that with care because that also those terms can be weaponized and used used as an excuse to justify the unjustifiable, so to say. No. Yeah, I've always taken shelter in a. I grew up in a in the Christian tradition as a Christian. A couple of things from conversations. One with my mother. <clears throat> She said to me, because I was like, you know, pointing to lots of kind of like moral failings in the, in the church. And she said, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is about distinguishing exactly what you've been pointing to. And then the other one is a verse in there. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I remember in, in the ashram devotees, they would come to me and they would say, you know, this thing, that thing, the other thing. And I was like, after having read Sri Guru and his grace. I would say, look, you know, if you look at the sun hard enough and for long enough, you'll find some defects there, some blemishes. But then after that, when you try to look at anything else, you'll be blind. So better that you should use the light that comes from the sun and see your way on the path home. But then, of course, at the same time, there is a responsibility where the disciple is to in some sense functions are checks and balances, you know, like where does the, where does the conscience of the organization live? If it doesn't live within each of the individual members, bringing their conscience to the endeavor, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, it says the Supreme Brahman has thousands of hands and feet. It has thousands of faces and in the purport, Srila Prabhupada, no doubt citing Madhava or some other Acharya says, you know, this is the, his devotees are everywhere. Mm -hmm. So his hands and his agents are mm -hmm. everywhere. And there is this famous um, verse by Narutam Das Thakur that Srila Prabhupada quotes, which is Guru Sadhu Shastra Vakya, which is like the triple Praman, which you need to make sure that the three of them are uh, aligned. But then there's this fourth Praman, which is never spoken about, which I think is at the heart of your book which is tinete koriya aikya or chitete koriya aikya, mm -hmm. which is that the practitioner must make those three pramans one within their heart or with their heart. So they bring, you know, they, they bring their, we bring our individual conscience to the endeavor and then we are responsible ultimately for making sure that all of those four line up. Mm -hmm. could, you, could you say something about that? Well, yeah, <laughs> I can say quite a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I quoted that, Indeed, interestingly, the, the section you made, the quote from Sri Narutam Das Thakur, I quote that exact section in my first book. Uh, but in my second book, I, I speak about a fourth Praman that also can be called Pratyaksha, basically, which one of the translations could be personal experience. So as you mentioned, we have this like triad of Guru, Shastra, and Sadhu, which also it's, needs its own clarification because sometimes I've heard and I've dealt with that in my first book as well. I've said, okay, because I was in my first book, as you may know, I, I talk about whether bhakti is inherent or not in the jiva. And I may quote uh, Shastra and someone may say, okay, but these acharyas say that. So Shastra says that. I say, no, that's not Shastra. That's what the sadhu is saying. Mm 
about what the sadhu is saying in Shastra. But if you make whatever the sadhu is saying in Shastra, then there's no longer this distinction between Guru, Shastra and Sadhu. Because if I say my Guru is a sadhu and whatever he says is Shastra, then everything merges into that same thing and no longer you have this distinction. So that's another conversation in itself. But the point you made, which is very important, is there is a fourth um, praman, so to say, which is Pratyaksha, Krishna himself says in the Bhagavad Gita, in the famous second verse of the ninth chapter, Rajavidya Rajaguhyam Pavitramidam Uttamam Pratyaksha Avagamam Dharmyam Susukam Kartumabhyam So he there, he says, speaking about bhakti, he says this bhakti, of course, is the king of knowledge and is the king of all secret things and Pratyaksha Avagamam. And it's understood by personal experience. So, in other words, you have to be an individual and you have to use your own individuality, your own discernment, your own everything to get your experience of bhakti. Nobody can do that for you. You have, a, as you mentioned, responsibility. Even as a disciple, that I appreciate your point, no? because even if you have a guru, it's not that now Guru Dev, I surrender, so that means you decide for me, I don't think, you think for me, you tell me what to do and I do it. That's an evasive, an evasive device. I mean, I'm, I'm exploiting the guru in that case, so I don't have to be responsible for myself. And the guru's duty is to make that clear to the disciple. I'm guiding you, I'm trying to help you and give an example, but you have your own responsibility, you are your own person. And there is a very interesting section, and again, this, this may take a whole different separate podcast, but because we, in, in Jiva Goswami's, Sandarvas, he emphasizes, of course, Shabda Praman, like the topmost form of evidence is revelation. And I'm not here trying to contradict that, of course. But in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita of Sanatan Goswami, in one of the comments, he describes personal experience as Shrestha, which means the highest form of, of way of, of Praman, of the highest way of validating reality. So, so that's very, very interesting. And that's over and over again in the scriptures in many parts. Even in Bhagavatam, in one verse says that sometimes one has to act as one's own guru. Like, and again, with this we are not cancelling parampara. <laughs> we are just, that, that statement has to be put in the scale along with all the others to make it clear, okay, sometimes you have to think for yourself, take decisions, be responsible, and not only sometimes, but at every single moment. So I find that's very... Very, very, very important and very much in need of being emphasized in, in our particular society. Because if not, the spiritual pro- project becomes very, like, devoid of inner life, very devoid of, of participation. That's why I call my book Radical Personalism. Now, we, among other things, is because we are a person and we want to be a person to the very root of it. Radical comes from the Latin radix, which means to the core. So I want to be a person to the core. It means I want to be personalist. We are a personalistic tradition. That means we are persons. But if I do not take responsibility for me, that's impersonalism, technically speaking. Even if I'm not saying, Aham Brahmasmi, Sarvakaloitam Brahma, let's merge into the undifferentiated whole. <laughs> if I'm not taking enough responsibility for all that I am and all that I can be, that's a form of impersonalism. So... So yeah, it's very important to understand Guru, Shastra and Sadhu are there, but I need to have my own experience of them. And I, and I need to... I mean, if someone tells me I accepted... My, my, someone tells me, that my Guru is a pure devotee, uh, and I ask them, how do you know that? 
I mean, I'm not asking that those type of things to people just in case, <laughs> just being hypothetical. I mean, the person eventually, whatever the person will say at the end, it will boil down to that person had certain experience that may he or she conclude in a certain way. And it's okay. But my point is, at the end of the day, your experience is what's validating your reality. And nobody else can have your experience. Nobody else can have an experience for you. And, and again, that can be scary. I remember in Dostoevsky, the Inquisitor, that section with, with basically that's the idea. When people is given freedom to choose to do whatever they want, most people are terrified about that. Most of us say, I want to be free, give me freedom. But when they have full freedom, means full responsibility. Most of us do not want to do anything with that. We want people to tell us what to do, how to think, how to, which fashion to follow, and so on. <laughs> but at the end of the day, this is, this is personal. This is personal. As I like to say, we, we don't join uh, an institution in one sense. We are joining a heart that is beating in a particular institution. If I accept a particular person as my guru, I'm joining the heart of that person. And that happens to be beating in a particular institution. And in that sense, I'm joining an institution. But first and foremost, I'm joining the heart of another person. It's a personal, individual connection. So when that's, yeah, that's, that's not prioritized, so to say, we, we start to enter into all these uh, weird dynamics of, Impersonalism, lack of personal accountability, as you mentioned also, yeah. <clears throat> Do you have a question? You, you're building up a whole bunch of things? Yeah. Okay, let me just say one thing before I hand it over to you to ask your questions. Mm -hmm. Donna Davies been writing a bunch of things here. <laughs> um, just to build on what you're saying there, Maharaj, about mm. the... You know, you ask someone, how do you know your guru is a pure devotee? The other <clears throat> angle they may take on that is they may refer to Shastra and then cite, you know, examples from, you know, Shastra and different qualifications and things. But then the question then becomes, well, why do you accept the Shastra? And at a certain point, it, as you say, everything must come back to personal experience. And yeah. that's the, that is the ultimate praman, the pratyakshavagamam dharmyam. Um, it's the perfection of religion because it gives direct perception of the self through realization. Whereas Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur would say, who cares about reading the label on the jar of honey, take the lid off and taste it. Mm -hmm. And you cannot argue someone out of their direct personal experience unless you make them believe that they're insane. But, and then, uh, <clears throat> which can't, happen. can't remember where this is. <laughs> yeah. But you have... You have, you have people saying, like, I, I simply cannot give this up. You know, I, I try, you know, maybe Prakashananda Saraswati with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like, why are you doing this chanting and dancing and not, um, or Haridas Thakur, you know, when they're beating him in the marketplace even. Mm -hmm. You know, you have these examples of these people who are just like, even if it's like against everything, you know, against all the social norms and against the authorities. And even if you say that it's against my ashram and what I should be doing, or I just, I just can't give it up. I can't give up the lotus feet of, oh, it's, it's the mood of Madhavendra Puri, you know, oh, my prayers three times a day, all obeisances to you, my, <laughs> my bathing, I offer you my respects and the demigods and the forefathers, yeah. but I just can't forget this <laughs> Krishna and, yeah, and then at that point you have, in some sense, 
transgressed and transcended all of the supporting and you've be, your forest is exited from the dense forest of delusion you become indifferent to all that is to be heard and all that is to be heard and at that point you may be considered to be in, in, indistinguishable from someone who's just insane really yeah sorry i just went off on a tangent no there. <laughs> no that's a very important point and i appreciate your all your points I, and, and yeah, that's what the Gita says. At the end, the conclusion is Sarvadharma and Paritya I mean, you surrender to Krishna, and that means to reject so many other things. Going back to initial point, progress means accepting of something higher and rejecting something lower. And that verse of Madhavendra Puri, which it's basically represents that. And Nivartante, you have a higher taste naturally. Whatever is not corresponding to that will be as a byproduct left out. And, but but going back to the point of personal experience that you mentioned, like, okay, you gave the example of Hardest Thakur and Mahaprabhu, and, and I couldn't avoid relating that to my situation because you say, okay, against all, all odds, some people may be in very complex situations, but they kind of leave that. And why? Because they had a certain personal experience about that. So I couldn't avoid relating to my own situation that we were talking about going through a complex situation with my former gurus. And one could say, okay, that's enough reason for you to leave all that. And for me, it's, no, it's not. Because I had such a personal experience by divine grace, not by my own merit, but such an undeniable, clear uh, epiphany of, of, at least on some level, of the reality of Krishna consciousness that, I mean, I cannot leave that against at all. Even if the whole world collapses, that thing is has been so real for me. I mean, it has been the most real thing I ever experienced. I have the personal experience that I cannot live that. I mean, in the face of the worst possible scenario ever, that, and I've gone through two of them, so to say twice, uh, I cannot forget what I've gone through in so many times, not even once. So so that's also for me the, the very foundation of, of my faith and, and my and my thriving and continuing ahead despite everything so and that all that confirms your point like personal experiences i mean you cannot live without that this is the only thing that will actually sustain you in, in every other situation so anyhow i appreciate your words and personal experience yeah thank you it's incredible that the, the conclusion, you know, that you are coming with is even in the book, you know, the, what is the book called? The Self-Realization. Um, Which one? The, uh, the Journey of Self-Realization, right? There's a book mm -hmm. written yeah. by Shilapopa. Yeah. 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 Science of yeah. Self-Realization, oh, Journey of Self-Discovery. Oh, Journey yeah. of Self-Discovery. <clears throat> but it's self. It talks about the self. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't say like the journey of the guru self or Mm -hmm. self-realization mm -hmm. or anything yeah. it's nothing to do with anybody else but it it, it matches to you yeah yeah and, it, and, and in order for you yeah, sorry. yeah. No, in no, order no, no, for no. you to have this self-realization you have many tools and you have many agents that is helping you according to the level of your consciousness and your depth of a spirituality and you match to that person and you feel more connected to that person or there is some sort of like a you know easy access to that person because your level of consciousness or what you're looking for, they're feeding you according to where you are at. Mm -hmm. um, well, I wanted to start, I just got distracted. Um, I wanted to, um, well, I admire your way of being, of looking inside more into you mm -hmm. and connecting with yourself 
of who you really are and what you really want to be and what is the purpose of your life and connect to that being. I don't know. I'm not denying. I don't know if some people that are uh, some devotees or some swamis are in that level of like, okay, where I am right now, am I being true? Am I being loyal? Am I, am I being connected to who really I am? And look at the trajectory of their life, where they are, their actions, their mistakes, and what they're coming right now in, in, in the present life. Because mm -hmm. good that you guys have been discussing about, um, I mean, uh, Swami, you have been discussing, and my husband, you know, the sharing the experiences of like, my personal experiences were quite similar. You know, being in the church and they are making mistakes or having an affair with the uh, ex-person being married and so and so. You continue being who you are and what you truly want to be in life and your spiritual being, you know, following Krishna and what you were born to do in this life. Um, I just like something that was coming to my head. Um, and the and the other thing is you using your experience of your own life or how you be where you've been to come as a teaching for the people, you know, because through experience we learn and through your experience you can teach people. This is what happened when I went through this. You may go through this thinking, you may go through this um, breakdown, these feelings may come up to you, you, you through that experience and people are like, wow, it will relate to you because you went through that situation. Rather than just giving a generalized idea like, oh, this, oh, that, like, no, it's a personal relationship, you know, where you can say, I know what you, you may be going through. This is what I experienced. Like, oh, my God, I feel like uh, you understand me. And that creates a powerful relationship, you know, you understand me where I am right now. Um, and the other thing, your humbleness of being like a student, you know, I am a student. I'm learning through this. Because like you said, every single day is a day we're learning. Every single day we're transforming ourselves. You know, if something happens like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? It's just like I feel outside my box, outside my comfort zone. Now what is the next for me? And your powerful introspection. Um... The other, more, the other more powerful thing that you came up with was the guru is God, but the, are they representing exactly what God it is? Mm -hmm. And how you are introspecting yourself. Am I being the representative of Krishna? And you're analyzing your life, analyzing yourself. And that creates a more powerful state of being for people that are coming into this world of spirituality let's say Krishna consciousness, being real. Not this world of like a hypothetical thing. Oh, it's great. And we just need to do that. It's like a very superficial, you know, it's like a flying, flying in a bubble. Mm -hmm. But something happened, the bubble will break and we end up in the worst situation. And I uh, thank you for, um, for explaining all of that. And... One thing that I, I, uh, I would like to ask when you say, you know, sometimes we have to be uh, our own guru. 
I mean, Bhagavatam is saying that. I'm not saying that to begin with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you Bhagavatam. But in your, in your, my, my, mm-hmm. the question that I come with here is like, okay, you can be a, your own guru, but don't you think that will give a way of, I know what I do, I know what I want, and I know what I know. Mm-hmm. So they're all knowledgeable. But... In order for you to be your own guru, what do you think is required to, to for a person to follow? Yeah. Well, thank for your appreciations, of course. And uh, going to the question, of course, again, I want to clarify that. And again, that's in the Bhagavatam. That's not in Padmanava Swami's version of the Bhagavatam. It's in everyone's version in the 11th canto. But I'm not saying that to cancel parampara or to say that, that we no longer need any teachers and you are your own teacher and you just figure out who Krishna is and that's it. I'm not saying that. But just putting that in the scale with the other statements that, of course, emphasize the importance and need of the guru. And and to be our own guru basically means that. means that in, in certain particular situations, let's say, for example, you you may not have access to your your guru to tell you what's the ideal thing to do uh, and you have to decide for yourself and you have to think for yourself and you have to to act up according hopefully to what you've learned from your guru so and that in one sense happens on a daily basis i mean it's not that we live with our guru next to us and we are just asking him or her every five minutes what to do how to do but you are supposed to <laughs> to imbibe what you have learned and in that sense, be your own guru. In one sense, you are not being your own guru because you are receiving something from your own guru. But in one sense, you have to take personal responsibility. And, and, and in some situations, like like the ones I've gone, so to say, in one point, you are taking some distance from your guru and for by force of circumstance. But that doesn't mean that in one sense, you could say, now you have to be your own guru. But again, that doesn't mean that you are totally independent and, and, and whimsical and creating your own thoughts. But just you have you are put in a situation where you are really to, to take full responsibility for yourself. Because the person who was your guru is no longer there. And now you have to take shelter in the teachings, in the Shastra, in the inspiration of other sadhus. Of course, Krishna is in the heart of the guru as well. But you have to take full responsibility and to be yourself in the context of that. So I will say that means to be your own guru no? in, in, a, in a legal way, so to say. <laughs> we are not promoting here again, just canceling parampara and, and, and inaugurating a new sense of, of, of guruship, so to say. So, so it has more to do with the responsibility. And as you mentioned in one of your appreciations, that the idea of we have to become real in Krishna consciousness. We have to become our own selves. It's, in the beginning, it may be different. In the beginning, we are just given, okay, Krishna consciousness means you do this, you do that, you don't do this, you don't do that, and that, that means to be a devotee. And, and it's okay, it's more than enough at that moment for us, <laughs> the, 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 the short do's, do's and don'ts. But in, the, in time, you need to find a way to relate to the practice in a very intimate and personal way and in one sense that means also be your own guru in the sense of find your own way of relating to Krishna consciousness that is unique to you and it's irrepeatable in every devotee you have to find that point where because it Krishna consciousness means your relationship with Krishna 
and any relationship with Krishna will be different from, from the others. Not that they're all the same relationship. I mean, Krishna is not such a boring guy. <laughs> Every relationship is unique. So we have to, to relate to our practice in a way that is unique. At least in, at some point, in the beginning, it may be enough to receive the general template. This means being a devotee. But in time, I have to fully... Uh, apply my own individuality and find and, and make Krishna consciousness fully re relevant, relevant and relatable to me. You know, so that's another way of understanding. Be your own guru, you know, like like find your own your own way of practicing Krishna consciousness. And with this, I'm not saying speculate and create your sampradaya, but inside of the the, the rules, the, path, the, the the perimeter that we are given, you have to find your own way of practicing. I mean. Rupa Goswami is giving these 64 angas of bhakti, 64 limbs of devotion. He said you can find perfection through any of them. Like implying some people will be more attracted to this or this combined with this in a certain way and this and that. Some will be attain perfection dancing for Krishna. Some people will attain perfection in Sadhu Sangha, in Sravan, in Kirtan, in Smaran. And there's a place for that. It's not that it's only one single box and you have to feed there and good luck and, and, and that's sometimes a problem that we put everything into boxes and we need to put feel the need to put everything into boxes and, and i speak about that in my book as well that due to certain situations that i've gone through in some way i'm not in any of the usual boxes one puts a devotee and that's kind of Makes creates anxiety for some people because they don't know how to figure you out. <laughs> but that's an interesting experience in itself because at the end of the day, it's not that about putting people in boxes, but about relating to each other as as persons, as individuals. It's not that who is who is your guru, which is your mission. Okay, you belong to that box. Okay, next one. No. I mean, I, I I didn't get to know you by doing that by that exercise. <laughs> yeah, I just know it's a very near five. Exactly, you know, like sometimes the boats may meet you, and, and and I really don't don't support that. That sometimes you find a devotee, and after maybe ten seconds, they ask you, "Who is your guru?" <laughs> and sometimes the implication behind that question is, after you tell me the answer, I know in which box to put you. <laughs> yeah, but by knowing who is my guru, you don't know that much about me. I mean, you know something, but the person who I am, it's still totally foreign to you. So that shows how little you are interested in actually knowing me. <laughs> yeah, good that you pointed out that, uh, <clears throat> Maharaj. Um, because if, if, first of all, I want to say that um, you know the conclusion is you be you a person has to be honest the person himself or herself and be authentic in order to have this connection. Connect to yourself in order for you to know what you are, who you are, and what you want to go from there on. Mm -hmm. And there's two things while you were speaking. Um, you know, during the, during the speeches or classes or Maharaj or Swamis give classes, there's a particular thing that I come across, the question keeps coming. Maharaj, how do I become this? You know, Maharaj, how do I become humble? Maharaj, um, so it, it's mostly like more dependent on what Maharaj says to the person in order for the person to start thinking, oh, but it's not about like more the introspection mm -hmm. the, uh, 
of like, okay, this is where I am right now. They're mm -hmm. always looking outside mm -hmm. of themselves mm -hmm. about what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, the other thing is about like they, they you mentioned there's other people, you know, about the guru, they, they box, box you in when you say, I don't have a guru. Oh, you know, why don't you have a guru? And the question is like, oh, because you don't have a guru, that's what I, I observe. Because you don't have a guru, you're not a serious person. Because you you don't have a guru, you, you are a rebellious person. It's like, uh, okay, what a such a small-minded person. But mm. this is what came across a lot to me in the Eastern world. Mm -hmm. Not sure where they are, the souls in their in their life, but I I always felt confronted by it. Mm. Now, before we go further, I just want to... I, I found the verse, Maharaj. I'll just bring it into the comments, <clears throat> just in support of what you were saying. It's not from the Swami Padmanabha Samhita. <laughs> it's from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11. Thank you. Chapter 7, Text 20. Yeah. It says, An intelligent person, expert in perceiving the world around him and in applying sound logic, can achieve real benefit <clears throat> through his own intelligence. Thus... Sometimes one acts as one's own instructing spiritual master. Yeah. Thank you for the exact quote. Sorry for not being able to provide exact canto and chapter. But yeah, I, I'm quoting that also in, in my book. And again, we, we need to know what to do with those verses. It's not like, oh, this verse is creating no, discomfort. So let's cherry pick the ones that better fit my agenda. But the way to understand Shastra is to put everything on scale and, and understand it in context. So... These are important statements as well. So thank you for that. And, and going to your the two points, uh, Dana, is, of course, you, you mentioned first that sometimes devotees ask the Maharaj or the Guru, whomever, like, who, how do I become humble or how do I become... All these questions that start with how. <laughs> Which is okay. Again, I'm not condemning that. Of course, there is a whole art to know how to make questions even. It's not just say whatever comes. But that's another thing. But And there are different devotees in different stages. And again, in the very beginning, some devotees need to be told what to do. I mean, it's part of the deal. Like a baby of two months does not have independence. You cannot just allow the baby to have his own independent flow of life and do whatever he wants. He may kill. He may be like walking on the highway in five minutes. <laughs> so in certain stages, it's okay. They need to receive this like indoctrination if you want to put it like that although it shouldn't be but this basic replies and and, and the part of course the problem is sometimes you receive these replies to all these questions and you may feel okay now i know the answers to all questions uh, and the point is that in time you need to realize okay my question that i made that time was answering this way but at this point this answer is no longer enough i need a deeper answer to the same question even because we, you should understand that. It's not that I made this question 10 years ago. I don't need to make that question anymore. I may need to do that question many times throughout decades and receive a deeper and deeper answer and make the question from a deeper and deeper place. And that's in fact the duty of the of the Maharaj or of the Guru, whomever is replying to that question. In fact, the, 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 the duty in part of the, of the one who is replying is to create new questions also. Not just to give predictable answers. No? Like, I have this question, how do I do that? And the reply has to be, sometimes it, it will be a new, another question that will take the questioner to 
to think for himself or herself. It's not just, I'm giving you the finished product, that's it. No, the disciple has, the, the hearer has to also do his, her own work of ruminating, thinking, reflecting, processing, realizing, and so forth, so on and so forth. So, so yeah, we have a responsibility and we shouldn't expect all like clear final questions. Again, the guru may say something as, as an answer and after some time he will say something else, like a father. If, you, if your child of three years asks you as parents, like, how did I came to the world? You may tell him the stork story, no? came, put you on a chimney, and there you are. He, that will be enough for him. He will be like, rejoiced. I know the answer now. <laughs> and that's enough for him at that time. But after a few years, he will be confronted with a new answer. And it's not that you were cheating him the first place. It was just, he was not able to process that. So that happens also. I deal with that in my first book a lot. Why sometimes also Acharyas say different things to different people. Because not everyone is ready to listen the same answer, the same to, to deal with the same degree of truth, so to say. And we have to be humble to, to accept that. And, and regarding your same po second point that you say that sometimes devotees will say, okay, because you, do not, you don't have a guru, you are not serious or you are a rebel. Well, <laughs> as, I, as I mentioned to begin with, I don't, I, I don't think it's very polite and very aligned with Vaishnava etiquette to ask a devotee, who is your guru? That should come organically in the context of the relationship. It's like if, if I meet Sitapati for the first time and after three minutes I ask, and who is your wife? And what's her name? I mean, that's not, he will feel uncomfortable because it, that has to happen eventually as the relationship develops and eventually I will get to know that. And in fact, the scriptures say, Sanatana Goswami quotes this verse in Haribhak Vilas, you should hide your guru, he says. Of course, don't take that literally and put your guru in the closet and kidnap him, but <laughs> hide your guru means don't make a public show of this is my guru, this is my guru. That's something very confidential, very intimate, and that will be disclosed eventually when the moment has to be there. So that to begin with, and if someone thinks you don't have a guru, you are not serious, well... That's their problem to think like that. <laughs> I mean, and, and also the point is, what does it mean to have a guru? Because sometimes people will think just formally accepting someone means I have a guru. The, the very expression, I have a guru, is not correct. <laughs> no, like, it's my possession. I have him. I have her. No, I mean, I, I'm to become an object, if you will, so to say. I mean, in an ideal guru-disciple relationship, the two will possess each other by the force of love. It's not that even the guru is the owner of the disciple. Uh, the two of them are giving themselves to each other. It's not only one way around. It's, it's a mutual uh, reciprocal relationship, which sometimes is missed, I think, in the, in the Gaudiya community. Sometimes we think it's only the disciple has to surrender and give to the guru, but the Guru is also expected to reciprocate. It's a relationship. So, to have a Guru means, <laughs> actually, we both, we are having each other, Guru and disciple. We are opening to each other. We are relating. But sometimes we just think that because I got formally initiated, I'm already like 
saved, so to say. I'm on the on the on the sacred side of the equation. I I, I have my card carrying member that I can show, and and it's I have my guru. You don't have that guru, so I'm somehow higher than you, and and that's not like that. or even I don't know some devotee maybe practicing for a few years and. So when you will get initiated, you know, like if there is some particular like timeline you have to, and if you ask, I don't know, Srila Prabhupada himself, he didn't, he was born in a family of devotees and he got initiated after more than 30 years. <laughs> so my point is there is no like fixed rule that it has to work like that, it has to work like that. Even I would say some people, and I know some, for whatever reasons may, and that's a whole other topic that, some of them may not get initiated in this lifetime. And it's okay. It's not that they are not making any progress. They are like not serious enough. And for whatever reason, I don't know, in certain missions, for you to be initiated, you have to follow some particular principles. In each mission, it, this may vary. But, and I've seen many people getting extremely, unfortunately, discouraged. For example, in some societies, for getting initiated, initiated you have to follow what in ISKCON is called the four regulatory principles and chant 16 rounds. And I know people who, for one reason or another, cannot follow those regulatory principles. And, f and for them, it's it, it has been so much pushed into them that they feel, and I'm not criticizing ISKCON with this, it's just how everyone presents that, each one. And one will present it in one way or another, but some will think, okay, I, I cannot follow this particular principle, which means I cannot be a devotee. And bhakti is not for me. Because I've, I keep failing with this. And the person gets totally overwhelmed with guilt, with shame. And, and instead of getting inspired in bhakti, no, the person gets more and more depressed into a hole and sometimes living altogether. So, of course, I, I don't think that person... And, and of course, more problematic is those who... <laughs> how to say? Accept the initiation, accept the, the, the vows, but eventually do not follow them, but they do not say that. So they continue as I'm chanting, I'm following my numbers, my, my legal quota of everything. But in the background, they are not able to sustain that. But they are not vulnerable and open to share that and see how we can work on that. But just create a facade of um, following everything. So I'm on the legal side, so to say. So, so yeah, again, at the end of the day, it boils down to what you mentioned, Dana, the word honesty. No, I mean, we have to be yes. honest. That, that's the, the translation of, of sadhu, basically. Sadhu comes from sat. Sat means truth. And, and to be truthful means to be honest. And that's one of the four regulative principles, actually. Truthfulness. No, it's, it, it's, it doesn't mean don't go to the casino. <laughs> because sometimes the other thing, okay, one of the four principles is not gamble. That's not reduced to that only. It's about being truthful. Because I can, I can avoid the casino, but I can, I can fail in truthfulness in so many other ways. Mm. Anyhow. Something with your own truth, with your own self. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Other, uh, and it's very terrifying, you know. One of the things that I find um, very, um, I would say, annoying for me is that um, they make it more like a membership thing. If you do, you're not doing this, if you're not doing that, if you, you know, it's like, you don't meet the standards. It's mm -hmm. like, what's that supposed to mean? Mm. Um, 
and uh, you're saying just because you have this membership and you follow it like a little um, like puppet, what they say, what they do, does that mean that you are perfect? I don't think so, because it's a self it's a self realization. My relationship with Krishna is intimate. What happens? What I tell him. It's so intimate. Mm-hmm. And nobody will understand that. And no, because I don't follow this certain standards like, of, oh, you need to get initiated. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be in the parampara. You follow the parampara. Like, what does it even mean being in the parampara? <laughs> so this is a good segue to a point that I wrote down earlier. And here's something I picked up from your book. <clears throat> but before we go to that, mm-hmm. I just want to address this comment slash question from John Zamora Novion. Thanks for tuning in, John. And he says, Jai Maharaj Pranams, may I ask about, maybe it sounds superficial in this context, but why is the color of your tilak different? Less yellow, I would say. Hmm. It sounds superficial, but I just want to bring it up because I don't want John sitting there thinking about that and unable to listen to anything else. So maybe we could address address that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Thank you, John, for the question. And this tilak that I'm having is Radha Kunda tilak, which is one of different Gaudiya Vaishnava Tilaks that are used, probably you've never seen it and I imagine that's why you are asking the question and probably your main reference of Vaishnava, Gaudiya Vaishnava Tilak is the Gopi Chandan that Sita Pati Prabhu is using now. But there's another variety of it, I'm, I'm sure if you go to India or places like that you will see that that's quite often. This is a Tilak that Mahaprabhu himself wore. He used Radhakund Tilak when he was in Vrindavan. He, he took earth soil from Radha Kundar and he made a tilak out of that and, and there are different Gaudiya Vaishnavas from different traditions who use Radha tilak. So in one sense again it's a detail I wouldn't say. I mean I, I'm not someone who is about to make a whole issue about which color is your tilak and I'm not saying you are making that John. Uh, I appreciate your question but I also like to make that like yeah let's let's don't, don't get distracted by the color of our tilak or something as it's it's something like it's showing who is more bona fide than others and we create this competition and bona fideness by the color of the tea. Like I'm not saying again you are doing that, but sometimes that's being done. That's why I'm clarifying that. So yeah, that that that's I basically the, I need to wear that Radicon tea because the color of my skin on the camera, it's like <laughs> I put the tea on, it disappears immediately. Yeah, it mer- it's merges. Yeah, yeah it merges. That may be another practical yes. reason why I'm using that. Yeah, we have similar skin color than Sitapati. <laughs> um, to return to what Dana Devi was saying, um, this is something I picked up in your book <clears throat> that I hadn't necessarily seen done in this way, and I don't know if you did it deliberately. Um, you're obviously very, very powerfully uh, analytical as it says, an intelligent person, expert in perceiving the world around him and applying sound logic. You obviously are very gifted in that area by Krishna's grace. What I saw in your book, and I've only read 15% of it so far, was what seems to me to be the superposition idea of the guru that we discussed earlier. John says, thank you for the explanation. He's satisfied. Um, is the superposition idea of the guru of the, you know, the, the Jiva soul, the Vaishnava, the, the, the and, and, and the empowerment of the Shakti, I saw something similar about the Gaudiya mission itself. Like it's a superposition of different aspects. Like there is like a, 
you might say a mundane managerial aspect. There's like a human relations aspect, like a sociological aspect there. And then there's a spiritual aspect as well. And they're all kind of, they, they, they exist in the same space but they're not the same thing. Mm. And it's easy to confound them with each other. And uh, what I'm hearing and what Dana Davies saying here is, is some um, kind of manifestation of that where people are like, here's this external form and that is what it is to be Krishna conscious. Mm. And, you know, who's your guru kind of, <laughs> you know, reduces down to that. Could, mm. could you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. Thank for the point. Yeah, well... Uh, Go in a few words regarding what Dana Davis said, and, and then I connect that you mentioned that sometimes participation in spiritual life is made of a, some form of membership thing or some type of elite or club that you belong. Or, 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 or if I, I speak in my book about the difference between fitting in and belonging, and how sometimes in order to fit in, we force ourselves to be in a certain way totally that we are not unnatural to fit in, to be accepted, because of course in many of us is this necessity of belonging to a group, of being part of a tribe, of being accepted. So sometimes we, unfortunately, we sacrifice, compromise our own integrity in order to fit in. But actually what we need is to belong. And belong should be in a deep way by being who I am, and by being who I am with all imperfections that are with me at now. It's not that I need to be perfect to be accepted. That's not Krishna's way. I mean, Krishna is not accepting us only when we are perfect. That's that's conditional love. Krishna doesn't have conditional love. He has unconditional love, which means I love you even before you know about me, Krishna will tell you. Even with all the imperfections you have, I already love you, Krishna says. Not to be lazy and not change, but actually when you, when you know about that, you feel inspired to change. And being loved by God even with all these imperfections included. So, so that's a, the, the mercy of Mahaprabhu, the mercy of Nityananda Prabhu. That should be the mercy expressed by the Guru. It's not so much be perfect and then uh, whatever. No? You will be saved only when you are perfect. That, that doesn't work like that. On the contrary, sometimes, as, as Richard Rohr will say, someone that inspires me a lot also, he will say, many times we grow more by making it wrong than by making it right. Sometimes by making everything correct and being perfect, we don't learn too much. We may become proud. I'm doing perfectly everything. And sometimes one devotee, let's say, falls into one of the regulative principles, fails, but that person becomes humble and honestly repentant and is praying sincerely. So who is closer to Krishna in that moment? The person who is proud by not failing <laughs> or the person who is deeply humbled by failing. So, I leave it to you. But the point is, it's, it's important to, to conceive of, of, of this type of thing. It's not like, if you follow the four regs, trying the 16 rounds, you are better than the one who is not doing that. It all depends from which what's going on inside of you. I mean, you can reach the number per day, 16 rounds, but what's going on in your heart, in your mind... <laughs> You can follow all the regs perfectly and you may be increasing your arrogance only. And you're getting farther and farther from your goal. And someone is maybe struggling and failing in all that, but very sincerely praying and, and being very deeply intimate, connected with Krishna. So anyhow, as you mentioned, we don't know who is closer than Krishna. We are not here to judge. No, you are more lower and higher. 
it's a very personal journey, as you mentioned, very intimate, very personal. If we cancel that, again, we are being impersonal. <coughs> so, I, I, obs yeah. I observe this a lot, Maharaj, a lot, because, um, you know, they, 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 there is this sense of uh, false acclamation or acclamation or state attainment attainment like you know this person is pure or this person is saintly like ah mm -hmm. it creates a lot of conf uh, personally creates a lot of confusion like seriously i don't think so because one thing is being human and another thing that you follow in the scriptures is great but makes the per like blindly and so narrow-mindedly taking the person to saying, I yeah. guess the only way I can see the person is highly elevated or saintly is their actions. Yeah, and, and, and even even if before, you can, in some cases, you don't even kind of judge the person by its actions because some person externally may be doing that you don't understand, but it's for a very deep place on the opposite. Someone may be doing externally something very correct whatever, with the cheating mentality, so so to know where each person is, you have to get to know the person, basically. It takes time to get to know a person, and, and we should be very careful. And I'm not saying this to point to anyone in particular, because all this can happen to us, in us, to begin with. But we should be very careful not being judgmental and being conclusive about the, the inner situation of another person. I mean, we don't have a clue what's going on in ourselves to begin with. <laughs> so what to speak, mm -hmm. what is going on in the inner world of someone else and what's their connection with Krishna, what's Krishna's feelings for that person. Because again, we are worshipping a God of unconditional love, of mercy, costless mercy. So if Krishna Mahaprabhu is having costless mercy to everyone, not only to us, not only to Gaudiya Vaishnava, <laughs> to everyone, how much we are treating each other according to that principle. Uh, because if on one side I'm worshipping a God of give me mercy, unconditional mercy, I'm so falling, but on the other side I'm judging everyone and concluding about the inner word of every person, that's contradictory to, to the worship I'm doing of Krishna, because Krishna is also loving that person unconditionally. So be we have to be careful not to to judge one another, basically, and to conclude and to rush into... But that's part of the feeling of the conditioned soul, the need to control. So the need to control takes shape in the form of judging others. He's like that. So again, put in a box. Judge. I have control of the situation. I know who is who and what's happening. And generally, we don't have a clue about what's going on in everything. But generally, most of us do not like to admit how out of control things are in our life. So we we want everything to be controlled. So that's why we like to put in boxes and judge. And again, I'm not free from that. It's something that's so much ingrained in our DNA. And we have to work on that in our first individual case, in our relationships, in, in how we treat each other. Especially if we are practicing a message of love and we are talking about that. But the best way to... As once I remember I told Nam Rasa in one of his podcasts, like one of the best services we can do for our guru is to offer him or her beautiful relationships between us and our God siblings. 
that's also a service. You know? Having nice relationships between each other is a service. It's not just service washing the pots or selling a book or something. Having good relationships, that's one of the most important services. And the point is, you need to invest yourself in that. That's, that takes time to know each other, to deal with each other. That's, that's way deeper than just labeling and judging without even knowing. I mean, you can imagine how many times uh, that happens, whether I, one may fall in that or I sometimes hear people speaking about me that, but never met me personally. So they do not know me, basically. So it's, it's funny how to, it's sad, not funny, it's sad to see how much people uh, concludes about someone else without taking the time to to be emp 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 empathic. No? If I'm going through a particular situation, if you are going through a particular Kurukshetra, so to say, some battle in your life, <laughs> and I'm watching your battle from the balcony, so to say, from the spectator seat, and I can say, oh, Sitapati should do this, and Dana is wrong in this situation. But I'm just talking from, from a comfort zone. I'm not going down to the arena, entering there with you and empathizing with your experience. And then I can really say something of value. So, yeah, I personally yeah, do, do not pay too much attention to those words who come from a place that is not from a place from empathy. Because time is precious. <laughs> mm. All right. This so, is perhaps a good segue. Um, but first, I'd like to give a shout out to Namras. Uh, that was how I first heard of you, not even through Namras' podcast, but because you were staying with Namras at his house and Namras was just glorifying you and he was having, it was, he was having such an amazing time. I'm like, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. I've never even heard of him or seen him before. And he's like staying at Namras' house, playing with the kids and they're going out doing these programs and yeah. yeah. And then Namras, of course, put, put us in, in contact with each other for this episode. Hmm. Yeah. So shout outs to Namras. Yeah, he's to blame for all this. <laughs> yeah. Doing a good service. Yeah, yeah. he's so, a dear friend. And I'll be there in his house again, like in, I don't know, like three weeks or so. So we'll have another chapter in New Jersey. He came to visit us a few months ago back here in North Carolina as well. So, yeah, deep gratitude to my friend Namras there. Epic. So um, I didn't touch okay, upon, so, upon the topic you mentioned a while ago, sorry, Sitepat, that uh, you were talking about these aspects of the mission, but I know you may prefer to introduce another thing. Um, I have, well, yeah, let me checkpoint my, let me checkpoint my, my, my next thing I wanted to talk about. And let's talk about that then, the aspects of the mission. And just to, to revisit that and to introduce something again, like Dana Davy was saying, you know, people say, you know, oh, he's a saint. And one of the artifacts of this thing is to go back to our earlier question, how do you know your guru is a pure devotee? It's like, well, the answer is very simple because he has the official title and role of guru within this organization, which automatically means that's what, you know, <laughs> like to be a guru in this organization, you must be a pure devotee. He is a guru in this organization. Therefore, he is a pure devotee. The organization is purely spiritual. And then when it turns out that he's not, you lose all your faith in absolutely everything through all the layers, all the way down to the existence of Krishna himself. You know, we don't, but you have such a deep sense of betrayal and you no longer know what's real. You can't discriminate or distinguish anything, and you go away. Yeah, yeah could you please yeah. speak to that, Maharaj? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the price to pay for over-absolutizing the relative. Again, the mission is faultless, spotless, absolutely transcendental, and 
What's the mission? Again, we use the words, the mission, but what's the mission? You Sometimes we mix mission as you have an internal mission in your life, but another thing is the relative institution with all the things that any institution will have, or what you mentioned again, the guru, by have the post, you have the post that speaks about the internal world, and that's not necessarily the case. It should be, ideally, if you are serving in that capacity, you should be someone advanced, but even... Let's boil it down to definition of terms, because sometimes they would say he's a pure devotee, and the question is, what's a pure devotee? Because every person will use the phrase, but everyone may have a different idea. So what's a pure devotee? What do you mean by that? You mean like an Uttam Bhagavat, someone who attained Prem, someone who is beyond whatever, certain stage in particular? So what's a pure... We, we should start by defining the terms and understand and see if we are talking all the same thing, you know, because some, someone says it's a pure devotee. What's a pure devotee? For some it will be even Nitya Siddha. For some it will be... He's someone who descends from Golok Brindavan and is an eternal associate of Krishna. And of course the question is, how do you know? Again. <laughs> and this exactly. Is not, I was uh, going to ask, how do you know you are pure and this is not And this is not to challenge anyone and to disturb anyone's faith just to make it clear. It's not that we are going here asking everyone, how do you know your guru is a pure devotee? How do you know your... That's not my point, but the point is... And of course, at the end of the that day... That's a good question, though. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's a, a, very, that's a good inquiry, yeah, be it. Yeah, yeah, that we should... And with that, we go into the world of honesty, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and, and to, to, to be responsible, that this, probably that's something, a conclusion that I'm reaching myself. It's my choice that... Like I spoke once with one devotee, say, I have the faith that my guru is an eternal associate of Krishna. I say, okay, I respect your faith. I'm not here to to question that. I, I, I trust you have your reasons for that. You have had certain experiences and probably revelations, and I'm fine with that. I'm not trying here to interrupt the faith of everyone, but we should, yeah, as you mentioned, we should put those questions in our mind, because if not, we are just accepting everything without discernment, without filtering, and Everyone is a pure devotee, and as you mentioned, a certain guru that unfortunately has some moral lapse of fails in one way or another, as has happened <laughs> quite a few times, then how to accommodate that? Because everything was totally over-absolutized, and now the whole building collapses, and you go from one extreme to another, you go from black and white, and there were no gray in between, because you were not trained to think in a more nuanced way, because everything is totally absolute and perfect, but when there's some cracking in the absolute perfection, everything becomes failure and fraud and cheating. And I've seen that a lot, and that's you can imagine how painful that is. I mean, it's not, it's not a celebration to see so many people having their faith destroyed, their heart, their heart broken. Of course, each one of us have to choose. We are also responsible to choosing to accept everything over absolutized without discernment or to really try to think for ourselves. <laughs> and even if we have some gut feeling, this is not correct or this is too much, <laughs> uh, there has to be place for asking those things. You know? Because if not, we enter into this arena where you are stigmatized. If you question some things, if you ask about certain things, you have not enough faith, you are a rebel, and so on, and people get starts to get afraid to ask certain questions, so you just have to fit with the narrative, and that becomes mm -hmm. more and more like a totalitarian regime, basically, more than a free-flow yeah. movement of love. No, it's just, this is the official narrative, this is the only questions allowed, if you are asking these other questions, you are out, 
sorry, <laughs> you, are, you are labeled as a dropout or as an enemy or whatever. And sometimes that happens without bad intention, but it tends in that direction. So, so an institution is an institution. It will have the relative elements, the failures of any institution. Silla Prabhupada, when he founded ISKCON, he said in, in the, when the ISKCON papers were officially written, I don't know if you know that, he said that to Achitananda Prabhu at the time, I think, the main rule, because there were so many rules that you had to make to make the legal entity, but he said the main rule is that ISKCON should be ruled by love and trust. And if at some point, if at some point the institution is not serving that purpose, with the same effort we made the institution, we should dismantle the institution. So we keep these principles alive of love and trust. So of course I'm not proposing here to dismantle anything, I'm just proposing... I mean, we, need, we may need to dismantle certain structures and way of thinking. Uh, and as you say, Sitapati, also to understand that the mission, there are different aspects to the mission. Of course, there is the wish of the, like in the case of Iskand, the wish of Prabhupada, his inner mission, his inner life, his inner, his love, and how that overflow it took the form of a particular movement. And as I put in my book, you know, because we have a movement that is an institution, but the external movement always begins by an internal movement. Something is moving in my heart, or, or, or when you join any particular movement, means first something moved in your heart <laughs> that took you to join the external movement, but first there was some internal movement. So I, I make that a point in my book, like Srila Prabhupada okay, formed external, so to say, sorry, I don't want to say external, like derogatory, the, ex the movement called ISKCON, but first there was a movement in his heart when he was, I don't know, instructed by his Gurudev preaching English, when he was in the Jaladuta praying to Krishna. So many crucial moments that mark his campaign, so to say, and created internal movements. And that eventually, naturally, naturally took the form of an external movement. So, so that's for me the essential aspect of any mission. Then you have all the sometimes departments and rules that sometimes you need to have those if you have a big group keep some order <laughs> of course it's tricky because sometimes all that may that's not the essence so the point is sometimes in time that starts to be overemphasized and the actual substance of the mission becomes downplayed that happens not only in iskon or in godiamat i mean that happens throughout human history so so that's also important to how to say to normalize uh, failure, so to say, <laughs> not to traumatize failure, but that can happen. No? So I think, yeah, it's important to, to keep these differences in place, whether it's in the case of the institution or in the individual person, whatever, it's a guru or someone, and, 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 and keep the thing more human, so to say, more realistic. No? Failure can happen, imperfection can happen, and that's okay, that's part of the equation. We need to learn to love including that imperfection. <laughs> Speaking of love, <clears throat> Namras says that he came back to the Facebook world to watch this wow. great collabora collaboration. Much love. <laughs> wow, he's breaking his vows for, for us. So I really appreciate <laughs> I, I appreciate your breaking the brata to accept the higher brata, so to say. I mean, so... Sarvadaman Paridyaja. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Thank you, Namras. I appreciate your... Yeah, that, that's the idea. You, you, you were mentioning that, Dana, sometime, some moments ago, that sometimes we, we have these rules and principles to follow, 
But sometimes we have to break some of those rules to follow a higher rule. We have to transgress some principles to embrace a higher principle. So now Raz is showing that now also. <laughs> but it's, it, it doesn't affect other people. That transgression doesn't affect other people. Yeah. So it's a benign um, yeah, transgression. Yeah, yeah. It affects in a positive yeah, yeah. way, of course. No? Yeah. yeah. We, we just need to make it very clear because when we say... Um, you know, sometimes we have to break mm. the rules uh, for a higher purpose. It's like, oh my gosh, does that mean I'm going to go and go on gambling and go and have illicit sex or anything? So we have to very, very, be very clear here for the audience. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and I, I appreciate that you use your critical thinking, you know. Mm. We, uh, we must encourage all of these devotees and the coming devotees and the future devotees. Like, we must use our critical thinking. Um, and make sure, you know, if a chocolate is in a bar, when you dilute it, it's still a chocolate, right? Mm -hmm. So in whatever form, in whatever form the chocolate is, in whatever form the stage, um, the devotees and the service they are, it will come to be who they really are and what is their intention in life, mm -hmm. in whatever form they are participating participating yeah, yeah, in the yeah. service of Srila Prabhupada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shastra says Baba Grahi Janardana. No? That means Janardana or Krishna is someone who is Baba Grahi, who takes the essence of one at, one at, one's attitude, the, the intention. So again, it's not so much about what we do, but from which place we are doing that, that internally. And yeah, that requires introspection on a daily basis. No? Like, why I'm doing what I'm doing? Such a simple question, but we should we shouldn't skip that one every single day. What I'm not because doubting the process of bhakti, but just I don't want to be doing that for the wrong reasons. Like I tell in my book, I don't want to stay in the Gaudiya Sampradaya for the wrong reasons. I want to to remain a member. To fit in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No, to fit mm -hmm. in because of position, because of followers, because I'm receiving certain perks and benefits. No, I want to stay here for the living thing, because this is a living thing, a living school of prophets, as I like to put. That's a sampradaya. Uh, but yeah, we have to, to participate actively. As you mentioned, critical thinking is, is crucial. And, and Krishna himself encourages that to Arjuna at the end of Bhagavad Gita. He's telling Arjuna, so what do you think about what I told you? Oh, give me your opinion. He's not expecting just say yes to everything. What do you think? you have any doubts, any questions? Sure, I want to hear your thoughts. Think for yourself. The Guru is telling that to the disciples. So, so we have to, to offer our intelligence, our discernment. That's part of our offering also. Offering serve with physical body, serve with our psychic body, which includes the function of discernment. So all that's to be offered in service. Our introspection, uh, that's, that's very, very important. In fact, I always it, um, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, just you mentioning this this, this point regarding that you mentioned before. Some of you the, the word introspection. Uh, for me, it's so important. And and I and in my book, I, I mentioned that when I describe how in the very beginning of creation, Brahma is there, and he's not seeing anything. There's nothing, and the only thing that he hears mm. eventually is the word tapa, tapa, which means in one sense means fire. And, 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 and what he does with that word is introspection. He starts to look inside because outside he cannot see anything. So he starts to look inside and he starts to receive the light of introspection. 
So it's interesting in one sense you can say tapa in one sense is synonymous with introspection and that's the very first word that sounded in the whole universe <laughs> to make it clear this is what it's all about. Now it's all about entering inside and finding the answers, being introspective. And that's not easy of course mm. because it's like in, no. in, in yoga they say pratyahara, like you close all the sense doors and look inside. So to say, that's that's entering into a certain fire, and and I, and mm -hmm. I tie that in my book to the word of Sankirtan. You say Parambijate Krishna Sankirtan in the beginning. Um, Sankirtan yeah. is a yaknya. Sankirtan yaknya. And yaknya is, implies fire, <laughs> and fire in mm -hmm. this case introspection is a type of fire to look inside. That's entering into a fire. So Sankirtan has to do to be engaged in with introspection. You can have. Sankirtan without introspection. Sankirtan doesn't only mean let's do some music together. It's not a jam session or something. <laughs> to be some kirtan, some means samyak, means full, complete. So introspection is our part. Is our part of the, in the equation as well. So anyhow. Um, from your speaking, he came two things. When we were talking about the critical thinking, you know, critical thinking and. And critical questioning can be very, can be taken very challenging. People can take it as, oh, it's a challenge. It's okay. Challenge is but not a bad a word. Critical, a critical question is like, for example, I ask you, how do you know you are, you are happy? Mm -hmm. How do you know what you're doing is right? Mm -hmm. What, how do you know? <clears throat> oh, why, why are you in, in, in your world of celibacy, you know? Like, whoa, who do, are you to challenge me? It's like, no, I'm interested because your world sounds harder to get, but I want to understand you how, you know? There's not, yeah, there's the question. And um, the thinking and the question, and it appears to me, it appears to me um, that some devotees, they don't want to do this critical thinking and criti critical questioning to people that are, in the top of the triangle mm -hmm. and they don't want to be challenged or they don't want to be questioned like in a direct question. I'm South American, Peruvian, and I just like, I'm very straightforward, straight to the point. Like, Whoa, what is that question? <laughs> like, and it's just a question. Why are you feeling like so alarmed about it? Like it's <clears> something, <throat> something that you're hiding or you're not honest to yourself that you've been feeling challenged by, by my quite simple question, straightforward questions, you know? Yeah. And, um, that's one thing. And the other thing is about when you introspection, I talk to many people, you know, like when they're going through uh, situations like, okay, do you want to look into yourself? Like, oh, I don't want to, you know, it's like, hey, what, this is what's going on for you. What I understand is it might be this, it might be that. Do you want to look into that? Like they feel kind of freak out, like, no. They don't want to see like, why are you smoking, you know? Or why are you doing this? Is it benefiting you? No then can you look inside why you're doing this? Because I know there is something else, but they feel challenged about it. Going introspection is kind of a scary place for them mm -hmm. because they don't want to discover themselves who they really are and who they are pretending to be mm -hmm. and why they're doing the things they are doing right now that is not benefiting it and finding the true self of themselves. You have to write your own book, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I have to go into the world of introspection. And, yeah, you, yeah. Have, you have to write your own version of radical personalism. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what you said. Of course, uh, questions questions are invited. I mean, I are welcome, should be welcomed. Again, pariprasnena, paripranipatena, pariprasnena. Pariprasna means humble inquiry, but humble doesn't mean paranoid or afraid or, or no, humility. No, humility doesn't mean just like, and I don't say anything and I am afraid of everyone. That's not humility. No, humility has to do with at least in the words of our Acharya Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will say humility is a passionate pursuit for the truth that's humility of course that's not an, an excuse to, to be unrespectful when you present the question but if you're being sincere and honest a question shouldn't be seen as a challenge and, and of course if I nonetheless perceive your question as a challenge then the, question, the real question is why I'm feeling challenged the real question, if you ask me something that is correct with a proper sincerity and I feel challenged, the real question is not your question. The real question for me is why I'm feeling challenged by her question. <laughs> First, I need to reply to solve that question myself before I reply to yours. And of course, as you mentioned, probably I feel challenged because I'm being taken out of my comfort zone. I'm accustomed to only questions that I know how to reply. I mean... That's something that we have talked many times. Sometimes devotees, and not only devotees, that happens everywhere, get accustomed to, they have to know the answer to every question. It's wrong not to know. And that's, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, there are so many things that, even if, I, if you ask me, I don't know, who is Krishna? <laughs> I can reply something, but that doesn't mean that I gave you the complete answer. There's no complete answer to that question. There's no end to reply, who is Krishna? So I can talk to you, I can reply to your question, who is Krishna, for 15 hours, and at the end I will say, but that's nothing in comparison to all that Krishna is. I'm just touching one point only. But I don't know so many other things about him yet. So, But generally we don't feel uncomfortable with this not knowing. Generally we cling to the certainty. I know. And this is the answer. Next question. And this is the answer. And if some... Uncomfortable question can sometimes it is uh, yeah, not allowed or censored or stigmatized. And unfortunately, I've seen that through history that devotees become yeah, neurotic about making questions because they are afraid of they will be considered you are a rebel, you are offensive, how you dare to ask such a question, that's not legal, that's not correct. Aparad, and this word aparad has been terribly weaponized. <laughs> But and like you shouldn't be asking that questions like okay so your child is asking you and mm -hmm. as an example yeah. your child is asking yeah. you dad yeah why 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 no no it's not that it's like dad yeah how how do you make babies you have to know you have to have an answer yeah you cannot Ex feel exactly oh, so i mean he's challenging you to to know how to reply properly but again the word challenge it's not something bad. Challenge means it takes me to another level. It forces me to think deeply. It forces me to go out of my comfort zone sometimes. It forces me to be open and vulnerable. And sometimes it forces me to say, I don't know the answer to that question. And it's okay. It's not that, oh Marash, you don't know. How can you not know? Like, why not? I mean, it's like, if not, we become create this superficial idea that you have to know everything. Once someone asked La Prabhupada, who is the, the, the Yuga avatar for Treta Yuga? And he said, I don't know. 
<laughs> he continued. No, he didn't have a problem not knowing something. Again, we have this idea of, I don't know, the guru has to know everything about everything. And it's over-idealization, over-expectation, over-absolutization. Um, and it's not, it's not natural. It's not too, too real. Of course, mm -hmm. of course, the guru shouldn't have knowledge and someone who is teaching should, should know how to represent the teaching. I'm not saying you are lazy in that, but one should be lazy in that. But, but yeah, on that side, the point of, of question, critical question, as you mentioned, that's, I mean, if, if a real question is critical, it's intelligent, it's sincere, that has to be celebrated. I mean, that's, that's the standard of the Gita and of the Bhagavatam. When Pariksit Maharaj is doing a, presenting a question, Sukadev Goswami is praising him. He's not saying him, don't ask that question, it's too challenging. Actually, he's becoming enlivened to continue speaking. I mean, we wouldn't have the Bhagavatam if Pariksit Maharaj wouldn't ask so many questions in between. And we wouldn't have the Bhagavad Gita if Arjuna wouldn't be asking in between so many questions. So questions are 50% of the equation, so to say. The speaker, the hearer. So that on one side, and, and a few words, sorry, to extend in, in regarding the introspection you mentioned. Yeah, I, I know that introspection freaks out most people and uh, because it's going, most of us, I mean, who is free from that? It's scary place. It's been vulnerable, isn't it? It's so, been vulnerable. Yeah, it's been of course. Vulnerable. It's, it's go, yeah. it's go, and it's the place that are very, very scary for people. I don't want to be vulnerable. My gosh. And at myself, I feel like that. Being vulnerable to certain people. I don't want to be vulnerable to certain people. Which is okay in one sense, because also uh, yeah, vul is. vulnerability means you are being open, totally open, totally naked, so to say, internal, totally fragile, showing your your humanity in full. And not every person knows how to what to do with your vulnerability. Not every person is educated how to deal with vulnerability. And that's one role yeah. of the guru I, I mentioned in my book, because the role of the disciple is to surrender, if you will. And that means to be totally vulnerable to the guru. But the guru has to be qualified to know what to do with that vulnerability. Because if a disciple is totally vulnerable and the guru doesn't know how to deal with vulnerability, that vulnerability may be trampled and totally damaged. And that can create lots of trauma and dysfunction in the disciple. The guru may not have bad intention, may just not be qualified to deal with vulnerability. And that's why... <laughs> That's why, first, first of all, the guru should be working on his own uh, vulnerability, so to say, his own introspection to know what to do with that with others. So, so yeah, it's, I, I know that for most of us it's difficult to, to go there, but we need to go there. And of course, we need to feel safe enough to go there, because if not, again, most people feel paralyzed to go there by themselves. They are afraid of what will they see there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they don't have too much self-compassion. Most of us are really too strict with ourselves extremely, not very compassive, so to say, compassionate. Uh, uh, but we need to go there. And so that's, that's why we need relationships with people that will inspire us to be vulnerable, to open ourselves and feel, okay, here I can be vulnerable and I won't be abused and I won't be damaged. I will be nourished. I will be empowered. But not everyone knows how to do that. So you have to express vulnerability with certain boundaries. If, if, if vulnerability without boundaries is basically abuse. And that happened a lot as well. So, yeah. yeah. You mentioned your book, Maharaj, The Radical Personalism yeah. Manifesto. 
Here it is, um, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and <laughs> viewers can get that from Amazon.com. It's in Kindle Unlimited, so if you have the Kindle Unlimited, you can just grab it immediately and start reading it. Um, who do you say the book is for? <laughs> well, for me, to begin with, <laughs> like I mentioned in my first book as well, now, ger generally people feel okay I'm writing this book for these people for this audience but for me the experience has been some somehow someone else is writing the writing me <laughs> through the book and the book is mostly for me first now, I'm not so much the author and the writer I'm the audience I, I this is a message that I need first of all to because again all that I've written that is an extension of, of, of what I've gone been going through and my experience all these years and, 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 and the reflections that came from that. So at least to begin with, it's for me. Of course, I'm not saying it's only for me, because if not, I wouldn't be publishing the book. I would just print one copy for me and that's it. <laughs> but also because I know that many other devotees and people may be also on a similar journey or maybe eventually in a similar journey, which they are wondering, as, as we spoke today, how to really belong to my practice and not merely fitting, how to allow myself to have personal experience, be who I am and not being forced to, yeah, to, to be something that I'm not, that I cannot be, that I will, I'm not intended to be. And how to have the critical thinking <laughs> to even be able to question and to name and frame certain things that, that may not be okay in my local community, in my own life to begin with, but in, in my mission institution and that need adjustment. And at the end of the day, how to make my my spiritual practice relevant and relatable. How, how to, to practice. And I, of course, focus my book on the Gaudiya community, Krishna Bhakti, but it's also written in a way that even if you belong to another school or tradition, it's the language lends itself to, to be read in, in, for any other person that may be struggling with that or trying to find ways of addressing things in, in one's community that need upgrade, that need update, that need correction, that need more dynamism, more depth. Because, again, Krishna consciousness and any other mystical tradition, this is an, an ongoing thing. It's not something that is in certain way and it will be always be in the same way forever. That will be boring. <laughs> so it's always moving, always, always adapting, evolving, changing. So we should do so as well. So I tried to write the book from that perspective, how we can find our place in, 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 in life and as humans and spiritual practitioners, uh, how we can find solutions to problems that may be there, so we, we, we can find the practice relevant and relatable. So that's in a brief word for whom the book was written, again, beginning with me. Hmm. <clears throat> it, it sounds it sounds more like a self-reflection, you know, uh, something that you go on internally and it's in the um the gross form you can call it hmm. and you look at the book you read it the book and it's like my gosh it's a self-reflection of yourself yeah for me it's in a, I, a, I really yeah, yeah I, I read I, your own books like, I cannot write something that is not related to me I mean I, I it's, it doesn't mm -hmm. work for me at least I cannot just write the book that is on something completely unrelated to what I'm going through internally so it's it's naturally mm -hmm. an extension of my my own inner process, and, and also the book is written as an as an open conversation. It's not just okay. 
this all. This is a conclusive statement. There's nothing else to be said about the topic, but it's just, let's talk about it. No? Let's, let's address some issues that sometimes are not being that much addressed. But let's keep the conversation going. It's not that my book is the all in all and nobody else can add anything on top of that. It's just the beginning or the continuation, I should say, of of an ongoing conversation that we should be having with one another always mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the, the final topic that I had that I wanted to address. And it's, it's kind of like mm-hmm. the elephant in the room. <clears throat> Most people can... If not, they haven't experienced it. And I'd say that, that you have a large audience of people who have experienced the failure of their relationship with their guru in the sense that they're like, you know, I denounce this guru, I have to distance myself from him. Less common is going to be the experience of having been like formally rejected by a guru. And so what I'd like to do to explore this with you is just to kind of share with you authentically about my own sort of fears or concerns about having you on the channel and you know what that might mean or what that people might think about that. And then how I've kind of thought through that myself for myself. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, there's any truth to any of that. It's just how I kind of have thought through it. And then to get your reflections on that and, and your thoughts, is that okay? If we approach it that way, of course, let's be vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm like, Man, people are going to be like, this guy's a deviant and Cedar Putty and Dunn have got him on their channel. You know, like I can imagine, you know, like there are devotees out there and they're like, you know, my guru fell down and so I've lost my faith. And here's this guy and he's written a book and, you know, he's still going. I'm going to read his book. I want to keep going too. Um, less kind of like um, common is going to be, you know, devotees who are locked into a, a, a into an institutionalized and doctrinized and, you know, situation guru cult type thing where their guru is going to go, Hey, you should read this book by this guy. I don't think people are going to be recommending the book that way. And those people are going to be like, I'm not going to read that because this guy's got some kind of leprosy or something. He's got like an albatross around his neck, you know, and like if I get too close to him, I'll become infected with whatever it is he has. I'm not going to read the book. So I'm reading the book and I'm thinking, first of all, people are going to be thinking this without a doubt. That's going to be a conversation within a certain group of people. And then I'm like, is he like, is this a thing? Let me, let me read this and see, you know, and as I read into it, I go, I see in this a lot of my own kind of experiences and and realizations and, and, and perspective on things. And this to me is not a person who's like a, I was joking. Namras and I were talking about the episode last night and we were joking about it. And I was like, you know, the setup for the book could be, you know, the, the, the kind of like, you know, the, you know, on YouTube, you see videos and they say, you know, many people won't survive this, or it's too late for most people, or, you know, like doom kind of things to hook you in, like Mm -hmm. the lion leaping out from behind the bushes to trigger your reptilian brain. I was like, (laughs) you could start the book and you say, my first guru fell down. And then my next guru rejected me. (laughs) Like this is like, wow. You know, it's like, he's the only one on the internet with this YouTube channel, you know, it's his whole niche. And then it's kind of like, this is my story. You know, this is how I dealt with it. And then this is the joke and the real joking part is like, walk with me on this journey as I walk my way into Ritvikism, you know, it's kind of like the extreme rejection, you know, black versus white one to the other extreme, you know, so none of that is in there. 
Now, I don't find that as you've, as people will have experienced if, if you've made it this far. If you've made it this far in this, in this episode, you deserve to be part of this conversation because none of that's there. It's a very nuanced, um, mature, sophisticated approach to it. And at the bottom line of it, it's Palena Pericite. It doesn't end up in rejection of the parampara. It doesn't end up in rejection of the tradition. It doesn't end up in any of that. It ends up in, in, in a humble, introspective inquiry into the nature of faith and devotion and its expression in institutions and organizations and in the individual life of the practitioner. And so for this part about the, you know, being rejected by, by a guru, I'm like, cause I've known Tripurari Swami for decades and I'm like, the easy place to go to with this is like, well, one of them must be wrong. One of them must be off either. It must mean that Pub, Swami Padmanabha is a deviant and like fallen and dangerous and needs to be like put onto the Island by rejected. himself. Rejected. Yeah. Like he should be, he's been rejected by Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Um, or the other one is like, um, it must mean that Swami Tripurari is off. And you're going to find people who are going to say both of those things, right? Someone's going to say, this is more evidence or, and you're going to find people who are going to say, this is evidence that Gaudiya Vaishnavism is bogus. You're going to find the whole spectrum. For me, I was like, is rejecting a disciple even a thing? Like, I heard people rejecting their guru and rejecting him before he fell down, after he fell down, before it became public. I've never heard of a disciple being rejected by a guru. Is that even a thing? And, you know, the, the closest thing I can kind of see to it, and this is how I deal with it for myself, is the story of Kridoi Chaitanya, who became, or he, I think he was the spiritual master, Dukhi Krishnadas, who became Shamananda Pandit. He went to Vrindavan. And then in the external, the Prakrat Leela, what we can see, he gets reinitiated by a Rasika guru in Vrindavan. And then there's a whole thing about it because Fridoy Chaitanya comes and says he has rejected his guru in good standing. And, you know, but the internal Leela of it is something happening in another realm that we don't see, which is that um, Dukhi Krishnadas has had this mystical experience with the um, you know, finding the bracelet, you know, the story from yeah, Satya yeah. Raj Prabhu. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there's like, there's a sense in which there's a, what's there's externally visible. And then there's some other thing going on behind the scenes, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then people will be like, Oh, you know, I can hear the critics saying about me now, you know, like this guy's like, he just makes up anything and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, for me, my way of dealing with it has been like this, like, I don't know what's going on in the spiritual world, you know, like different people are parts of different groups, you know, there's like the different groups of cowherd boys and then the gopis and the cowherd boys and, you know, Mother Yashoda wants Krishna to stay at home at night, the gopis want to go out. And then my understanding of how things work in this world is like those kind of eternal nitya differences can become manifested in different ways in what we see. And that's what I got from reading that story of Dukhi Krishna who became Shamananda Pandit is that there's what we can see. And then your situation is, is like, as far as I can tell unique, I don't know of anyone else who's been through what you've been through and has continued the way you're continuing. So I'm kind of like, it's, it's almost kind of like all bets are off. Like there's no box. Like, it's like, 
you know, it's it's like, we'll put this guy in this box, but it's like, he doesn't fit in that box, man. <laughs> it's like, what about this one? It's like, there isn't one, you know? So anyway, I've got no idea what's going on, but I love you and I love your work. It's great. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love you too as well. And yeah, what to do? No, I, I know that I'm the, 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 as you can imagine, I was, I have not planned to go through all the situations I've gone the last years. It was not in my agenda as a calculated strategy to be in a, in a situation that is basically unique or basically nobody else have gone through, which that I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. It's just the uniqueness of it all. And for me, it's, well, for some reason, of course, I'm here. I have to go through here. Um, I, I have already shared a few thoughts about my my situation with my former guru, the second one, uh, a few months ago. So I, I won't enter into the details of that here. But of course, I'm. I know that different people may think different things, and they may think whatever they like. Everyone is free to think what they want. But also, as we already spoke, I think in any given situation, if we want to establish a conclusion about if someone is deviant or bona fide, and hopefully those two are not the only options, <laughs> is he deviant or bona fide? <laughs> uh, we have to take time to understand, to understand the per the two, the, the people involved, the situation, the dynamics, and, and that takes time, and most people is not willing to take that time. Not like someone at that time was asking me just summarize the whole thing in one line and I was like it's not possible it's like if I tell you I don't know summarize your relationship between the two of you in one word and maybe you you agree on one word but at the same time that's not enough so much has to be said in the context of that word so you don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. it's not so if I tell you no I, I'm only interested in one word that means that means I'm not interested in actually knowing the nature of your relationship because that will take time and most people is not interested in knowing, taking the time to know the details and the background. They just want something quick and put the label and put everyone in their corresponding box. And that's it. And okay, that's their choice. I'm not interested in their opinions with all respect because that's not coming from a place of empathy, as I mentioned before. And again, personally, I'm grateful uh, with my first guru, with my second guru. I've learned many things from them. I'm, I'm indebted to them. Uh, but also at the same time, I'm trying to pay my debt by acting according to my consciousness and to the things that I think are the real teachings that I receive from them and trying to continue in line with them. Although some people may think, again, I'm a deviant and some other people may think that you are a messiah. I mean, you have everything you can imagine. People that think you are right in below in the lowest tala, rasatala, patala and so on. And the other one that they are putting you like, who knows what no and and, and and anyhow each one chooses their box again that's their issue if someone wants to really know and ask me personally and, and share with me intimately that's another thing and and, and 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 everyone at the end of the day they can reach their own conclusions at the same time so but yeah regarding the the the, the uncommon situation of a guru rejecting a disciple i've written some section in my book about that no not not limited to my situation but analyzing the issue which is as you mentioned not basically that common is basically not explained and addressed too much in detail in the shastra uh, and with this i'm not just blaming anyone or trying to over justify or play the victim 
But even if a guru rejects a disciple, doesn't mean that necessarily the disciple is wrong only because he was rejected. You have to analyze the situation and why the disciple was rejected. And as you mentioned, in some cases there may be some transcendental background, like the case of Hridayu Chaitanya and Shamananda Prabhu. Of course, I'm not putting myself, comparing myself to them. And, 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 and I'm not saying that every situation has to be justified only in that way, because that can also be dangerous in itself. If we just say, no, it's just a lila, and everything has a transcendental background, and probably in some cases there are real issues that need to be addressed and changed and pointed not to blame anyone, not to condemn anyone, but just to address... And those, are, those are not necessarily mutually exclusive either, because, you know, here's another example of that, the mm -hmm. Govinda Basha. Mm -hmm. When Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur was like, hey, the, the, the Ramanandi's taking Radharani from the temple mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Jaipur, mm -hmm. it's Radharani's had an argument with Krishna, mm -hmm. she had a devotee's take her away. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's Leela, transcendental background. And then Baladev Vidyabhushan, on the other hand, at the same time, is like, there's a real issue here, and we're going to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And writes the Govinda Basha. So yeah. it's an angle of vision. Yeah, but my, my point was more connected. Again, you are going to a high situation there, and it's okay, and it's important to make that point. But let's say if in a case of, I don't know, a guru is, to give an example, molest, molesting a child, so to say. And, and you can also say, oh no, that's some Leela, and for some reason there is some Batsali interaction there. No, no, that, that, probably not. Probably that person needs to, <laughs> to, to, to do some therapy, and that needs to be addressed properly. So, so that's my, that was my point. No? So I, I get your points. I'm not denying them, but I'm just saying in some situations, it may not be as transcendental as we may like to think, and we may like to explain the situation like, or like some people sometimes may say, okay, but that's between them two. But sometimes if you are part of that mission or you are part of the situation, you are involved in that. No, it's like if I don't know, if my guru is molesting a child, I can tell, oh, that's between my guru and the child. <laughs> no, no, you, you are implying that by, by being part of that, by being a disciple or being part of that. So sometimes also that's an important point regarding personal responsibility. And of course, Many times, not many people want to look in those directions because they have to address painful, complex situations, take decisions, and taking a decision has always a price. You know, like I, I took my decision in order to preserve my values and principles according to my, my consideration, uh, and that had a price of losing other things, so to say, and, and I'm grateful for what I received, but also I'm grateful and happy for where I am and, and the opportunities that are coming and I'm and, and, and I really feel the bigger picture by Krishna's grace and, and okay all that is happening for a particular purpose but also it doesn't mean that whatever happened is justified in that sense you follow because okay everything happens for some reason but yeah but if there is some abuse that also has to be addressed and of course abuse doesn't only mean again child molestation or, or raping a lady but it can be other forms of abuse to adults and pastoral abuse and different forms of that. So, but yeah, and at the end of the day, <laughs> uh, I think, and, and this goes beyond my situation, which is, I know, pretty uh, awkward, so to say. But even in, in other cases of other situations, you need, if you want to, to know what's going on and what's going on in that person, you need to take the time to know the person, to get close, to, to put everything on the scale, to apply scrutiny, uh, 
and and that won't that won't happen always. No, there will always be people who will rush into conclusions, be emotional, be fanatical, be partial, be blinded by so many things or so many things. Now be compromised because I have my perks, I have my my place to live, my money, and if I say the truth or I chose to see that, I will lose all that. So I choose to stay with that or whatever. No, so many. Each case is unique. That's my point. And each case needs to be addressed uh, uniquely. So, of course, I'm always welcoming that as well, no? because conversation is crucial in this case as well. No? Communication, conversation, clarity. So yeah. anyhow, here I am, despite yeah. all or, or because of all. I'm, I'm grateful for all these circumstances. To be honest, all these are also making me who I am. I mean, somehow or other, all these complexities and crises and and shifts are part of car carving me my present version of all of who I am. So I'm I'm grateful mm. for that. I'm grateful. Mm. These um, in your convers in your uh, conversation, or you were, you mentioned something. Every person has to take the uh, you know mm. personal responsibility, and the other part you touch is um, you know uh, it's addressing the issues that is actually happening. For example, relationship or the guru, it's, uh, you know, committing a, a, an abominable action towards women or towards children. And the thing, how I see is, okay, so as a disciple, I will put myself in this example, in this case and scenarios. My guru is deviating, is committing abominable um, Action. actions with women and children. And as a disciple... It's affecting me. It is affecting my spiritual life. It is messing up with my mind, and I don't feel comfortable. As a self-respect, as a person, I have to have some degree of self-respect in order for me to say, hey, what are you doing is not okay. And it's unacceptable because you are playing with my world of my spiritual life, and you playing with the world of the spiritual life of that person, not only spiritual life, their physical life, their emotional, psychological being. So I am in that state. I'm a person with a spiritual life, emotional, psychological, and physical being. Anything that is happening because of this, the impact is this. And we need to have some sort of like a level of self-respect to say, I'm not going with this, not allowing you to do this because you're playing with me as well. Mm -hmm. The impact of that is going to be greater or whatever happens from that point on. Obviously, I have to take responsibility, but also I have to stand up for myself and say, I'm not allowing you. So what we have to do here, I may not have to do, but I will encourage any devotee that has been messed up in this situation, you know, like, oh my God, these gurus are falling, fall, uh, falling down. These gurus, friends with these falling gurus are just um, protecting and they are covering up. They're affecting the whole society of souls or Krishna consciousness by doing what they're doing. And many people or devotees are not standing up and saying, 
because they have their they're afraid of this guru apparat or whatever apparat you know oh we can say this to this guru because it's apparat and the way how i dominating people as by that don't do any apparat you know <clears throat> you're gonna go to the hellish planets like no i'm already in a hellish situation right now <laughs> but what they doing <laughs> so what's what's to to that yeah yeah i agree with you i mean as i mentioned this word apparat has been extremely weaponized and invoked yes. to, to, to create fear and paralyze. And I'm, with this, again, I'm not blaming... Manipulate people. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. not blaming anyone in particular. I'm not creating demons outside. We have we are our worst enemy to begin with, so I try to take that stance always. But yeah, we have to name and frame and point to, to when these words are weaponized, to when people is manipulated. And, 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 and of course, we have our choice of being manipulated or not. And whenever we perceive mm -hmm. any form of abuse, and again, I will clarify, abuse doesn't only mean with child or woman. It can be performed in any direction. Just in a guru-disciple relationship, that lends itself a lot to abuse. Of course, it lends itself ideally to the highest blessing and shelter and inspiration. That's the idea. <laughs> but there is so much vulnerability involved. And the, and, and the guru is in such a position of authority and disciple is ideally so much vulnerable and open that if that's not properly handled, that can lend itself to lots of dysfunctional, abusive, traumatic scenarios, as we have seen. Not to, again, to demonize anyone, just to be objective. So, but again, the abuse can happen in so many ways. No, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, and, and to an adult in the forms of manipulation, lying, rejection, as I mentioned, ostracizing, shunning, gaslighting, gaslighting, gas character assassination, defamation. I mean, all the things, all yeah. the things are, are very harmful and potentially traumatizing for anyone. So because sometimes we feel falling down, this, that like the sannyasi had sex with someone. That was the falling down. And somehow, and I'm not saying that's okay, but somehow we kind of, downplay other forms of falling down which have to do with just being extremely proud arrogant in denial of accepting reality not receiving any feedback not allowing other people's voice to to come uh, whatever all the things that i mentioned are also false forms of falling down and so sometimes mm -hmm. again we have to to be more more open in that direction because if not if if that is something gross it's not happening that there is no falling down and probably there's lots of falling down in the form of again corruption and hiding and hypocrisy dualist duplicity sometimes that's even worse than a, a, a gross yeah. falling down mm. because it's more mm -hmm. subtle more invisible and, and more pervading and it's not officially branded as a falling down so to say but sometimes those things can lead to other types of falling down, so to say. And when saying falling down, I almost always, always, I'm someone who is open to, if someone does many very horrible things, nonetheless, there is always place for sincere repentance and acknowledgement and, and change and, and moving forward. So I'm not someone like, okay, that person is condemned for eternity. I let them suffer. I wish resentfulness. I have resentfulness. No, I don't. it's not healthy, at least. I do not choose that, but yeah, we need to point those things, and with this, I'm not trying to agitate the crowd, so to say, I'm just sharing my own testimony in which I'm, by Krishna's mercy, I'm not someone who cannot live with, like, with duplicity, I mean, I cannot just, like, know that something is wrong and not do something about it, basically, I cannot sleep with my consciousness in peace if I'm, I know that I'm betraying myself. 
so to say. If, yeah. I'm, if I'm compromising my principles and my ideals, that's the worst mm-hmm. transgression for me. I, I cannot do that, fortunately. But of course, that has a price. <laughs> that has a price because when you stand in those feet, some people won't agree with that. You, you will be seen as a threat, basically. You will be seen as a dangerous person and, and some people may like to get rid of you <laughs> or may start to get, basically demonize you because you you represent some... Again, I'm not one to play here. I'm nobody, but just I'm saying I'm trying and praying not to compromise my ideals and that in itself is revolutionary. <laughs> and, 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 and those who are too attached to a certain statu quo, to a certain situation, uh, to a certain dynamics of power and influence may not like to have people like that around. And I'm not blaming others. I'm saying, I mean, each one of us can fall into any of these things. So, but yeah, if we want to practice Krishna consciousness, again, we have to be honest, sincere, have integrity, and hopefully not not compromise our values, but increase them day after day. So praying to continue doing so, although I, I know I fail so many ways and so many times, but Mahaprabhu's mercy is very great and giving always a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, and so on. So, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for giving me another I, chance also I to invite ap- me to to talk with you here today. Yeah, I appreciate mm-hmm. your um, your level of self respect that you have. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's not because of an ego thing. Like I respect myself because I'm unique, but just because I am someone that Krishna considered that should exist. So I have to do something with that. <laughs> And I have a potential in service to him. So I'm honoring that. I'm, I'm serving that potential. I'm serving who I am in connection to him. Not respecting me separate from Krishna. I'm just respecting my mm-hmm. integrity. Knowing that I'm connected to him. That I'm service to him. So in honor to that. I won't allow transgression. And, and I'll allow people trespassing. If you will. Or trampling over my own integrity. I mean. But I, I am my worst enemy. So I am the one who can choose to compromise those values or not. It's not about other people doing that or not. It's about me allowing that to happen or not. So, yeah, at the end of the day, mm. personal accountability. Hmm. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, the verse from the 11th canto about becoming one's own guru. There's another verse from the 11th canto that I think is pertinent. Yeah, Kasmat Guru. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a beautiful verse. Yeah, Nahiya Kasmat Guru Ginam, and so on. The one who you quoted. Yeah. So that, that there is more, yes, more than one guru. I mean, the absolute truth is unlimited. So of course you cannot yes. just receive everything from one person. So that's a very important point. Not not to dismiss any person, but your guru is telling you something, and you are filled with that. But it doesn't mean that there's nothing else to be said about the absolute so there is the possibility for complementarity so to say yeah mm. and eventually of course eventually the sorry uh, yeah eventually the Bhagavatam you know it presents these 24 gurus uh, how this Abadut is learning from different elements from the na- from nature animals so as Srila Maharaj said and you mentioned him our goal is to enter the land of Guru so everything will be Guru there so yeah there we go. <laughs> so one final question from a viewer, Maharaj. It's uh, Gunjan Sharma. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, Gunjan. Uh, she says, Pranam Maharaj, would you like to share about any future projects and journey? <laughs> well, projects, um, 
now I'm with this book just published, so I will be traveling and presenting the book that has to do with journey as well. I'm in the US now and I will be traveling as I shared these days in social media. In a few days I'm going to Alachua and then I'll be going to uh, to Denver, then I'll go into New Jersey and New York and then I'll go into Michigan. We'll have a retreat there with Jai Jagannath and Deva Madhava. Then I'm going to California, then Europe, then India, then New Zealand uh, in January next year. Uh, so that's basically the project and the journey, presenting the book, traveling, sharing. Of course, the main project is always internal and trying to do, continue asking to me who I am every day. <laughs> and also there are other projects in mind of writing projects. That, those are mostly my projects. I'm not so much like a managerial type of person. So I may be writing my next book on, on, on Guru Tattwa even in further detail, but still... That's still an idea. Again, I'm just publishing this book, so I'm not entering immediately into writing the next one. But let's see. So that that can that may be another project as well. So that's basically where I am now. So thank you for your question. <clears throat> I think there was another one. Uh, no, it was a comment. So yeah, we look forward to uh, seeing you here in New Zealand. When yeah. You come over. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that will be in first two weeks of June. Oh, of June, sorry, of January. January. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, see you there. Yeah. Okay, for, for viewers who want to keep up with what Swami Pabana was doing, you can contact mm. them or find out what's happening at www.swamipadmanava.com. Link is in the comments section. And uh, to get the book, Radical Personalism, you can go to amazon.com. Um, any... What, what 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 are your final concluding reflecting thoughts? Maybe we could go around and, and get them from each of us and we could give you the final word, Maharaj. Mm -hmm. um, Dana Devi, you want to go first? No. You want me to go first? Okay. Um, really what I'm left with after this conversation is 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 a stronger sense of what I intuited from last night, I was like, okay, I'm just going to re really get into this book. And I had, I had some difficulty getting into it until I created for myself, like what's the impetus for this book? Mm. I know you've written it in a way where it's not sensational. It's not like, um, you know, here's the chip on my shoulder and, you know, mm -hmm. my side of the story by Swami Padmanabha. It's not that at all. Mm. And so it was, it was a little bit, I, I, as I was reading, I was like, oh, this is too motor goodness for me. I need it to be more kind of like, you know, dramatic and like. <laughs> some, you will find some Rajagun in a few chapters. Keep reading. <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. Yeah, and so I generated it for myself. Okay, this is a response to these set of circumstances. And then once I generated that and started reading it, I was like, okay, I see where this is coming from. And I, I, was, I was actually, um, you, yeah, you are, you, you're unique just the this response and it's and, and my prediction is it's going to be very difficult for the world to deal with you and it's going to change the world you know like you're doing a, a thing with deva madhava and jai jagannath Prabhu's a, a retreat you know it's like what is that about like is, is this an escon thing like what is this what has the world become like who is this guy 
Like, what are these guys doing? Like, mm. what does this mean? Like, I thought you had to either be like a regular a GBC guru guy or a Ritvik. Or like, what is, what's happened? So what is this? Cats and dogs laying down together? The apocalypse is upon us. It's a transformation into a new world. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and there's a real depth of um, understanding. And it's like, it's Gaudiya Vaishnavism is out of the box and in the world now. And it's going to be unstoppable. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you so much for your beautiful words, and I'm totally with you in that. I'm, I'm, I'm. That's that's for me the, the hope for Gaudiya Vaishnavism in one sense, the Gaudiya Vaishnavism outside of the box. In fact, in a few weeks we will having a conference with many devotees from other different sanghas. That the title will be outside of the box, <laughs> and basically we will be touching upon different topics very related to go to radical personalism and. Yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, we have to, to, to relate to each other, not so much from which is the mission you belong, who is your guru, but who are you as a person? Again, for me, that's radically personal. Not radical personalism is care for what every person has to, to say and contribute as an individual and not so much because of the label, because of the box they fit in. We need Some of those boxes are already suffocating us, so we may need to change them or to burn them or to expand them and to learn to to relate to each other from a way more, uh, yeah, more deep, more broad, not so much like you mentioned. So this is Siskan, this is this mission, this is that. No, these are a bunch of guys who are trying to <laughs> to make sense of a few things with sincerity and you're invited to participate and no need to put further labels on that. No, try to, to let's try to grow out those, that sometimes like, like yeah, like addiction to labeling. <laughs> And try to be open to a further, if you will, way of labeling, a further way of understanding not only ourselves, but what's Vaishnavism, what's our practice. You know, it's, there's always place for a new meaning, for a new way of explaining all the things. So hopefully that's part of the journey. That's, that's, that's the future I see, of course, as well for me. I mean, that's the, the Gaudiya Vaishnavism I can relate to and, and I feel part of. Like Deva Mada once he told me, there is Iskun and there is my Iskun, he say. And I asked to him, and, and, and do I belong to your Iskun? And he says, yes, of course, Maharaj. <laughs> so, so, so this is the idea. No? So this, it's not just fixed institutional notion of this mission, that, but where, where, where do we belong? Again, it's not an institution, it's hearts, no? like-minded kindred yes. spirits. Swajatiya, Sadhu Sangha, Rupa Goswami will say, people of the same family, if you will, of the same mood, so... No matter where they come from, again, don't matter this mission, that country, that guru. That's that's nice, but that's secondary. The important thing is the rest. How much we resonate with one another in terms of of this ideal. So happy to find two two other companions in the journey today, in the form of the two of you. So thank you for extending your association to me as well. Sure. Okay. Um, it sounds very appealing, the new world that is coming up upon us, a world of the world that you're touching yourself, uh, the world of um, evolution and revolution happening out of it, that it's going to be impactful to the world that it's already been kind of old and untasteful. And it's nice to have a Maharaj that can be not only, you know, boxed in in one country and you just... You know, in this country, you're going to look after these people and people, you have to accept this, this guru. He's the only guru for your sons. Like, come on. Mm. 
Since when are going to be forced to accept one person that is designated to this place? Who told you to do that? Is it like a scripture that God tell you, that Krishna tell you, hey, you, um, Patrick or Swami this, you have to be with this and you souls, you know, have to accept this. There is not such a thing as that. Krishna mm -hmm. consciousness is more about like connecting with the people like-minded, the energies, the consciousness, and having that reflection and that love with someone that you feel actually connected rather than just like, oh gosh, I have to accept this, you know. Yeah. Him or her. Yeah. Even, and, uh, even if the person, if not the Vaishnav. <laughs> Not, not, not only among Vaishnav groups, but so many people you can connect and resonate that are from different traditions and schools. And that's also an important point, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, as long as they are in the personalism, right? Krishna mm -hmm. consciousness is very personal, mm -hmm. rather not in the impersonalism world. I wouldn't like to be accepting someone that is impersonal, like, yeah. Um, I think that is another thing that we need to, um, mm. obviously, you coming ahead in this world of like, you know, let's be personal here. This is a relationship between guru. It's like, it's like a, for me, it's like a father and daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do I connect to my father? How do I connect to my, to my mother? You know, it's like, it's a, it's a personal relationship. Yeah. Everything. everything. And should I, should I, yeah, it is. Should I call my father? father when I don't even have that connection, that is an awful thing to be in. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. It's destructive. Mm. Psychological, spiritual, and everything is destructive. And I don't know if they actually know about this, the impact that that, that, does, that, that has in people's lives. Mm. Being compartmentalized, mm -hmm. being boxed in, and no, this is the only way you just need to follow us. What do you think I am in a military service? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the um, end, yeah, at the end of the day, it boils down to this idea of we are personalists. So everything has to remain personal. We are individuals. We relate. Everything is relational. Everything is connected to it, to everything else, <laughs> and, and and in a very personal way. So that's why, I, in a, among other reasons, why I chose to name the book Radical Personalism because not only personal but radically in a very to the very root, how, how personal we can be. Because again, we are personalists officially, we belong to that school, but we can be so impersonal while speaking about personalism. So that's very harmful. Mm. So, so let's mm -hmm. begin at home. We are personalists in our tradition. Let's show that by example. Let's be as personal as we can in our relationships with guru, with God brothers, with family, with ourselves, with other people from other traditions, with everything. How personal are we being and how impersonal we are? That's one level of understanding this idea of radical personalism that, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not so much yeah. my, my, my invention. It's another way of saying, go the Vaishnavism, radical personalism, and, and to make a point, to emphasize these this important points. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So this world of personalism, you know, it's like because, oh, no, you cannot uh, mix up with the karmis and you cannot see them as a soul or whatever. There's just, you know, the karma is this and you are this. Like, my gosh, seriously, there's yeah. a point where we have to see the person as the person itself, himself or herself yeah. Yeah, there, and labeling it. Yeah, there will be people. there will be always practitioners and people in different levels and seeing things more deeply, more maturely. <laughs> we We have to accept that also. But also we have to acknowledge the need we have in our particular stage and that needs to be uh, 
to be attended and we need to have proper nourishing and environment and association for our for our need to be nourished and for everyone's need to be nourished in their own stage that's that's natural so hopefully mm. that's that's going on more and more for each one of us yeah mm. okay Jay, and, and for you maharaj do you have any final words for the for the viewers and for us well basically just deep gratitude for for the invitation and always i'm always amazed by by all the things that come in conversation no? because one thing is i can give a lecture myself and i have my own idea of what i will talking about but when when we meet with each other like now i mean it's the three of i mean I, i've never talked to you before live in my life <laughs> uh, we had i we had never we have not arranged any particular topic it was just we'll talk about the book but of course it went in so many directions and you didn't give me any any particular points we'll talk about and I'm not complaining of that I'm just sharing for the audience to know so that was totally unexpected I just came and said I don't know what will happen here let's let's see where this journey takes us and I'm always amazed on, on how Krishna arranges so many incredible ideas and thoughts and insects that come and, and come only in conversation again if I'm by myself I may reach some things but when we are thinking together and feeling together and sharing together naturally that creates a certain unique combination and, and unique gifts so so basically expressing my appreciation of that and, and, and gratitude for that and hopefully that can be repeated at some point in time yeah john thank you maharaj look thank forward to seeing you in person in january the same the same from here see you soon it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah Hare krishna Jai. Hare, 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 Hare. Krishna. Hare, Hare. And then tomorrow we have uh, Dira Govinda Prabhu coming on.